0: Hello and welcome to Decoding the Gurus, the podcast where an anthropologist and a psychologist listen to the greatest minds the world has to offer and we try to understand what they're talking about. I'm Professor Matt Brown. This guy I'm looking at right now is Chris Kavanagh. I'm the psychologist. He's the anthropologist. This is Decoding the Gurus. Good morning, Chris. Top of the morning to you, as you like to say. How are you feeling?
1: Wow, I'm feeling good. That had very morning zoo energy. I'm I'm impressed. You got the whole spiel correct. You rather than personalizations, off-the-wall references. That was great. That
0: yep. was great. All the jigsaw piece, piece puzzles were there. Puzzle pieces were piece, there. Piece puzzles. Okay, Puzzle Puzzle pieces. all right. <laughs> I'm yeah, totally... It's finished now. <laughs> 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 yeah, <nearly. laughs> we're back to normal. Uh, <laughs> no, no, but I'm feeling good this morning. I had my swim, and I've been swimming pretty regularly recently. So instead of it just making me feel exhausted and old, it actually makes me feel enervated gets the old juices flowing. And I've had like three or four coffees. So
1: I see. We're gonna have a health off. All right, all right. Let me let me hit you with some information, Matt. So long term listeners, people who will care deeply about these kind of minutiae updates, Matt. People are dying to know. Did Chris kick his sweet coffee addiction? <laughs> did, oh, yeah. all right, and in effect, the did he also only mention that in Patreon bonus material? Possibly. Possibly, I don't remember now. But I'm here to tell you, I have stopped consuming sweet convenience store coffee uh, as of maybe a couple of weeks now, without without any. Maybe I fell off the wagon, when I say without any. I may have had one or two, but one or two in the space of weeks and weeks. So that's gone. And the other thing I did, Matt, look at this. This is a very recent thing, though. Don't know if it's a full-time change yet, but I'm going to try. Snacking. You know, snacking, the downfall of many weight management (laughs) plans or healthy (laughs) lifestyles. That's one of my remaining vices was just, I like my snacks. And Japan is good for snacks. But you know what I discovered, Matt? I couldn't stop myself from snacking. I saw all the stuff that people said about, replace your snacks with a fucking piece of celery or whatever and I was like no come on come that's on. not that? That gonna do yeah so but one of those pieces of advice was like nuts nuts eat nuts those are good they make you feel satisfied and they're also like they are like a treat I've eaten nuts in the past at times but I've never I've never been a nut guy I was feeling dejected one morning I was like okay there's many packets of nuts constantly in the convenience stores in japan i was perusing the shelves for alternatives and was like all right i'll give these nut things a chance fucking nuts man nuts so are great <laughs> uh, i've been going a few days now without snacking except for nuts and i'm digging nuts i'm, I'm a nut guy now
0: <laughs> well that's that's good chris well but a couple of things first of all Whenever I hear you talk about this stuff, it's hard not to think about Alan Partridge's medical addiction to Toblerones because (laughs) it's on the same level. You don't know addiction, my friend. You do not know. But the other thing, you know, be wary of nuts. I love nuts too. Nuts are are great. But they're they're dangerous, man. Nuts, it's like, it's concentrated energy. It's fat and it's oil. (laughs) No, don't ruin nuts for me. But they're better than... Chocolate
1: or something like that, right?
0: They got protein in them, but that's probably about it. I was
1: feeling like a hunter gallery, you know, (laughs) with my little pack of nuts. And Mm. they don't taste that good. (laughs) They're not good for you. No, they are good for you. Some of them are
0: good for you, aren't they? They have nutrients in them, but they're packed full of fat. I think if you looked at it like a weight for weight per hundred grams, I'm pretty sure you'll find they're about the same as chocolate. I'm sorry, man. (laughs) Oh, no. <laughs> oh no! That's, that's why they taste so good, Chris. There's no way for things to taste good without just massive amounts of salt but and oil. But I
1: still have to be a that bad taste thing <laughs> equals better for you, it's generally speaking. But I know what you're saying is true. Sorry. Well, by the way, this is middle-aged men talk about their health and diets. That's I'm sorry. This is what you... Sign up for it with intro, but this is what DTG is now. But um, there we go. So this episode, Matt, we should mention, it's not the Elon Musk episode, which everyone is eagerly awaiting to close out the Tech Guru season. That Mm -hmm. is coming, but this has jumped the line because we have a right of reply clause in our Guru contracts where anyone that we cover can request that we have a chat with them. And unless they are soulless and evil (laughs) and even if they are and we still think it'll go (laughs) reasonably well we (laughs) might uh, have a chat with them but one of our sense makers from the sense making cube episode jimmy wheel got in contact after hearing a bit of the episode and asked if we could have a chat about it so that's what this episode is it's a guru right to reply for people who haven't had that before so we're going to be talking with Jimmy Wheel. But we haven't yet, so we don't know how that went. It's probably Mm. okay, though, right?
0: It's probably okay. I'm sure it's going to be fine. Uh, I just hope it's not going to be one of those situations where you like play back me saying something mean, and then I have to... Oh, I should
1: get some clips of you (laughs) saying, poor Jimmy. (laughs) Yeah, so... But, you know, we we were quite nice about Jimmy. We pointed out that Jordan Hall was slightly bullying him on the... Episode or from our perspective, seem to be doing that with is policing of metaphors. So you know, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Mm. We'll find out. But that's what the main segment of today's episode is. But on Elon Musk, Matt, I don't want to gild the lily. Is that the correct? Like, I don't want to reveal the horse before
0: you, put the you horse buy before him? the cart. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Whatever definitely, the metaphor <laughs> Definitely not gilding
0: the lily, but go go on. Just go on.
1: But I I just want to note, there's two things about the, you know, he's on Twitter every day. He's, he's Trump-like in his attention-getting, right? Tweeting out. But since we've been doing our research on him, we both have noticed that he has a penchant for lying in a remarkable way. It's It is Trumpian, where he just says things that, are not true. And then they, they just get lost in the mists of time, or it doesn't really matter. And I just noticed one before this episode that I had the reference, because it's it just sums these things up so beautifully. Elon Musk was claiming Apple was about to kick Twitter off the App Store. And he was also saying, oh, they've stopped buying ads for Twitter, right? They're pulling out. And there's a Gizmodo article Matt, that says Apple spent $84,000 on Twitter ads the same day Elon tweeted it mostly stopped advertising there, And they mention, they go on to mention that Apple had spent more than most other companies advertising on Twitter. So it's just like, it's just not true. Also, he said that Apple had threatened to remove Twitter from the App Store, and this is what sent him on this war. And then just today, he tweeted out, thanks Tim Cook for taking me around Apple's beautiful HQ. Good conversation. Among other things, we resolved the misunderstanding about Twitter potentially being removed from the App Store. Tim was clear that Apple never considered doing so. He tweeted out, Apple has threatened us to remove, you know, they're against free speech. And he went on this like week-long war. And then today's just like, oh yeah, apparently that didn't
0: didn't happen." happen. And it had a massive impact. Like every bloviating chucklehead, to use your term, leapt into this white knighting for Elon Musk. He was symbolizing to Eric and Brett, the institutional gated complex, diving in to squash the heroic Elon Musk for his brave championing of free speech. Yeah, and it was just all a fantasy. It was just all fictional.
1: Somebody suggested it might be an automated message because apparently Apple sends out automated messages about like, please make sure your thing is in line with content moderation, or it might be pulled from the App Store. So they might have, you know, just reacted to your standard automated notification. But in a- in any case, whatever the truth is, it's just amazing. He it just seems like he can tweet out or savings. And, you know, we're going to cover this in the episode. And nobody cares, right, when it's proven to be false or the evidence just completely contradicts what he's claimed. And the second thing that I want to mention, which relates to this, is this ecosystem, which I know existed before, but I really wasn't getting as much of an up-close and personal look of it. The Elon Musk Stan ecosystem, the fanboy base, it is something to behold. Like, it's quite impossible to overstate how sycophantic people are. And you mentioned Brett Weinstein, Colin Wright, who is a figure who has a blog called Reality's Last Stand and is active in the gender-critical trans debate. And he, he basically positions himself as arguing for science and biological differences are real and this kind of thing. But he also made this very juvenile illustration of a political spectrum, right? It's like a little line with a stick man in the middle. And then it shows the left running far away. And the little stick man who was on the left at the beginning is now getting like closer to the right, which has stayed still. Because mm. the left has gone crazy. Yeah. And as so many people pointed out, this is insane because it shows the right been stationary for the past 20 years, which is an absolutely insane point of view. If you just look at the right wing, and this is the context of American politics, but Elon Musk retweeted that cartoon and Colin Wright has taken that retweet. And he now, one, he made limited edition signed <laughs> posters of the ad and talked about the historic day that Elon Musk retweeted his meme, like get your own piece of Internet history with this, and he's he's become a kind of you know Musk responder, just mm. commenting, and Musk is also occasionally patting him and various other right wing accounts on the head with like kind of good boy pats, you know, usually just smiley faces or 100% right, but it's amazing, and it's very much the same pattern that happened with James Lindsay when he got retweeted by Trump. And he you know, initially tried to play it off as just a joke, as if that's going to affect me. And then it became his entire personality, right? Yeah. Like a MAGA, Trumpist idiot.
0: It's definitely a pattern you see with these second tier personalities that are competing with each other for the attention for people like Joe Rogan as well, or Elon Musk, yeah, these, yeah. These, these sort of big daddy figures that are sitting there at the top of the food chain. Or,
1: or Gordon Peterson.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Here's another good example. And uh, actually, this is connected to Sam Harris and another DTG related thing because Sam Harris quit Twitter recently, mainly just for personal reasons. He just thought Twitter was stupid and a waste of time, which, and he's, he's right. Mm-hmm. It wasn't some sort of political gesture so much, but it was amazing, Chris, didn't you think? The reaction of all of the IDW web slash Elon Musk fan crowd. They took this as just this damning indictment of Sam Harris. And Elon Musk did it too, where I'm, I'm seeing a tweet from him here, where he said that Sam lost me when he said that any lies at all would justify Trump losing. And I remember, you, you know where that comes from, don't yeah, you, Chris? Yeah, it's
1: the Hunter Biden comment that like, he wouldn't care if he had dead bodies in his attic or basement, whichever yeah. little kitchen.
0: And, and this has become an article of truth, hasn't it, on the more deranged side of the... IDW that that Sam Harris has gone woke or something it's a a deliberate misreading and uh, but just the way they react to someone like Sam not playing along uh, not going along with their mission I don't know
1: you know he's in general presented as having Trump derangement syndrome but you know I do think Sam badly worded things there when he was stating his position on that but his position was completely coherent he was essentially saying He didn't think the story merited the attention. And it's primarily about Hunter Biden in any case. But as far as he was concerned, you know, the media were right to be cautious, given that previously, when Trump was elected, they had basically been very credulous about any news story that appeared. So his position was he didn't think it was that big of a deal. And because it's about Hunter Biden, you'd have to have really strong evidence that Joe Biden was doing as terrible things as trump is doing with all his family that's a perfectly understandable position it's not like this huge controversy thing but yeah the right-wing ecosystem went crazy over that i mean he was already in the bad books because of the Mm -hmm. anti-vaccine opposition right and and being critical about that but yeah, so the victory laps that people have taken and various figures, though it, it's always remarkable how much gurus make it about them or their particular relationship. Like Gad Saad released the podcast and Eric Weinstein was talking, oh, I emailed Sam and I can't understand his reasoning for leaving. You know, it's all about how they inject themselves into it. And it's not a mystery. He's talked incessantly how you know deranging he views twitter and social media and stuff in general like Sam's stance on it whatever you think of it it's pretty clear it's pretty consistent him being on twitter was something that he saw as a vice a necessary vice and then he just decided it wasn't worth it like big
0: big effing deal that's my point it's it's the making mountains out of molehills which seems to be the common thread running through all of this but um well, they're going to keep doing what they're doing. They
1: um, are. And it's, it's presented, you know, like a battle for the future of civilization. If free speech is lost, even in America, tyranny is all that lies ahead. Brett Weinstein jumping in. Uh, really appreciate that you're taking this battle on. Brave is a term that cowards have abused to the point of meaninglessness. But you are clearly brave in the deepest sense. Win <laughs> or lose. Hashtag got
0: your back. Got your fucking uh, hell. It was the hashtag "Got your back" that really (laughs) made my head explode. He's Uh. so cringe. He's such a cringing toady and pearl clutching and hyperventilating about fight the
1: system while (laughs) licking the boots of a billionaire like (laughs) who's just arbitrarily shit posting all over the place. So, ah, god, it is. It's so annoying to see. So, anyway, look forward to the Elon Musk episodes where we'll delve more deeply into Elon stuff and then hopefully not talk about him Uh, like he can recede into the background as far as I'm concerned and well he has yet to unleash the hordes of Milo and whatnot back into the Twitter sphere but we've already seen very recently from Kanye's Appearance with Milo and Nick Fuentes, white nationalists on Tim Pool and various solid platforms. That if they come back, people will just remember why it was that they disappeared in the first place. So something to look forward to there.
0: Yes, yes, yes. We'll do the we'll do the Musk episode. Then we'll hopefully be able to put it behind us and not think about it too much. Right.
1: Yeah. So we, though, Matt. One thing: a little advertisement to note. Just a piece of content that people might be interested to hear. I appeared on a podcast called Beyond Synth. The clue is in the name. It's a synth wave podcast where they play synthwave music during the interview. I didn't hear it at the time, but the interviews interspersed with actually quite good synthwave music. And it was like a two or three hour interview conducted at 1 a.m. So my voice sounds like I've drank 12 bottles of whiskey, but it was a a quite fun conversation. It was mostly about gurus and stuff, but we ended up randomly talking about a whole variety of other things, including like Star Wars and pop culture and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and whatnot. So people might enjoy that or they might not. But if, if you ever wanted to hear my voice talking about gurus combined with synth wave music... Now your time has come. So, Beyond Synth, that's the name of it, the podcast. So, uh, mm. uh, yeah. I'm sure you haven't looked, listened to it yet, Matt, but it's just a matter of time.
0: <laughs> I might. I might. Actually, all right, if we're giving recommendations, I'm going to pop one in too. Because mm. um, I've been ravenously consuming a history podcast called Revolutions. I, I reckon many people who listen to our podcast already listen to this because well, he's much more famous and does much better work than we do. The guy's name is Mike Duncan, and he also did, I think, the History of Rome podcast and some other ones. But he's just a, a stalwart, and he's, he's so good, Chris. He's so good. It started off with the, the Glorious Revolution, the English Revolution, and the uh, French Revolution, American Revolution, and now I'm in the, the Haiti revolution which let me tell you that's pretty pretty crazy stuff it's a pretty hardcore revolution is it it so. is yeah yeah so um but it's it's he's, he's just so good it's informative it's educational and just the tone of it is just so engaging so yeah, if you don't already listen to it, then um, don't waste your time listening to Culture War podcasts, except for ours, to the extent that we are one.
1: You can uh, learn about nuts. You can learn nutritional information about nuts.
0: You could listen to synth, <laughs> you could listen to some weird synthwave thing and teen, Teenage Mutant Ninja, ninja Turtles, or you could listen to Revolutions. You know, your all courses your options. courses. Yeah,
1: that's right. That's right. Well, on that note, so let's head into our interview with Jimmy Wheel. So with us today, we have Jimmy Wheel, who featured in our sense making Cubed episode. Jimmy, so for those who aren't aware, we, we offer any of the people that we cover within reason <laughs> the, the right to respond to any of the points that we made or, or discuss things that we said or that kind of thing, and people have taken it up before, Chris Williamson and Sam Harris, and and jimmy reached out after the episode to suggest we have a discussion so thank you for doing so jimmy but before that do you want to inform people a bit of who you are and your current position or background i i'll do a bad job of it
2: sure 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 so uh, i'm an i'm a, an academic uh, refugee so i was all but done on a uh, phd in History, ethno history and anthropology, really. So similar neck of, of of the woods to you, Chris, I would imagine, uh, at twenty-two. And then I bounced and went into mountain guiding and a bunch of other things that led to a career in fundamentally um, I would say developmentally informed leadership in human development. So everything from my wife being a Montessori teacher and us having a you know, working within the Montessori community all the way through secondary and collegiate to mountain guiding and taking people to 23,000 feet on the north face of Everest, you know, the youngest group of Americans to, to do that, to um, working in the conscious capitalism space, which, you know, has all sorts of air quotes around it at this point, but working in, um, you know, management consulting to now for the last decade founding an organization called the Flow Genome Project, which is basically a combination of kind of the neuroscience and developmental psychology of optimum human development and leadership and we do that kind of stuff again in wild environments, backcountry, winter environments, canyon, Grand Canyons of Utah, that kind of thing. Um, and as well as, you know, front country uh, situations, we work with all sorts of organizations from, you know, SEAL Team Six to Deloitte to Google to Facebook to Disney to whomever. And I wrote uh, a couple of books, one Stealing Fire and one called Recapture the Rapture, the most recent. So really, I mean, that, that's what i was like to talk to you guys because right right in the of your both of your wheelhouses right
1: yeah thanks jimmy that's a very helpful outline and uh, one other question that i was curious about is so you know the way that our listeners will likely be familiar with you is from the content that we covered in the episode with the sense making about sense making episode so how did you come to be involved in the sense-making sphere or not necessarily that specific video um, but i'm talking you know more generally the sense-making ecosystem would you locate yourself in that Mm. ecosystem or and like (laughs) how did you get involved with it
2: no categorically not i think sense making is a fucking awful term and we should just say making sense like like any other solid solid Englishman. So no, I, I and, and and I and I come here to to bury game B, not to praise it. Um so I, you know, I think you have mistaken me for another guy. Um but honestly I mean if, if the dear readers, dear listeners, if if all you know is that solipsistic cluster for clocking in at two hours and forty five minutes, that for some reason you guys bent out of your minds, dredged out of the internet archives and spent even more hours on, I mean hats off to all of you. Um, cause yeah, I mean, my, my senses, I mean, I hadn't even got the microphone off and I was telling David, I was like, this thing should never see the fucking light of day. I said at best with ruthless editing, you get maybe 30 to 45 useful minutes out of this. So, th- so it's an absolute hoot that that's the one you guys t- get to take the piss out of, because I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm like, we don't have a leg to stand on. Um, absolutely. But now, now and, and why I'm, you know, happy to chat with you guys today, um, you know, and what a missed opportunity. Right. Because the, I mean, yeah, utterly ludicrous and we can unpack game B and and where I feel like it's parked itself into some goofy and avoidable corners as well. Um, But right. um, You know, like if those guys were just quote unquote galaxy brains and utterly um, ineffectual then that kind of taking the piss would be just completely warranted. Um, but they both have really significant and interesting bodies of work, as, you know, hopefully to some whatever extent, I might also. And that is that was not the place to find any of it. So, you know, Daniel is a self-taught autodidact um, who is currently advising pretty much every, you know, transnational three-letter organization and the the heads of those organizations around the world on actually applied existential risk and risk management. You know Jordan, before he was 30, but the billion-dollar fucking company, and w- got into Harvard Law School on a perfect LSAT, took classes for two years, was like, I'm over this, went to the dean and said, hey, I tell you what, I'm not going to come to class anymore. I'll just sit the exams and ace them. And then I'm going to go to the Kennedy School of Government. I'm going to go roaming the rest of the halls of Harvard and get the education I actually want. So now, that said, the premise for that specific event was can we explore unrehearsed and not even desired by any any of us? Was can you explore collective coherence, some form of emergent something or other? Can we get to what you know Quakers might call a gathered meeting, right? Some sense of is there enough resonance and affinity and novelty to be playing good jazz? That was it. And then Jordan opens with a minor modal seventh. You know he's, he's like late stage miles davis or coltrane and you're like oh shit okay wasn't planned wasn't rehearsed but since we are attempting to do this live experiment right i guess we're in that key for a while i thought we we're going going for a campfire strum along right and we ended up in some fairly abstruse and i was like this is gonna be anywhere impossible for folks to follow or track if you know what i would just say that full stop so what you guys took as me being little brother to Jordan wasn't that at all. It was like when, when one guitarist is, 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 is sitting his guitar on fire and playing with his teeth. The best thing to do is play some vamping backup chords and maybe take the piss out of the situation, deflate, play the fool right on behalf of any poor beleaguered listeners. So that was the setup. Um, and you know, and, and as far as well, I mean, any, we can take this any way you'd like. We can talk about group coherence, whether you believe there is such a thing. You can knock that around. We can also go over to Game B. I'm happy to chat about, you know, any of it that comes up.
1: So there's, there's some points there. Mm. Matt and I would be, it's fair to say, fairly skeptical of the kind of description you gave there, Jamie, of, you know, autodidactic self-taught geniuses who are able to... Uh, that was one. Right. That was Dane. Yes. And similarly, there's a lot of people that advise a lot of influential people who have impressive resumes, but say a lot of silly stuff, especially in the people that we look in day in, day out. One of the things that's most impressive is actually their ability to kind of self-promote. And if you listen to their account, all of them are... Unrecognized geniuses, and many of them are extremely wealthy and extremely influential, like uh, you know Scott Adams or Nassim Taleb, and also have genuine areas of expertise and knowledge, mm. like Gad um, Sad, for example.
2: Oof, I've just been I've just been seeing more of his stuff lately, like this week.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's hard to avoid, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> but the but uh, so our critique usually. Isn't that people don't have any expertise or influence, but one, that those tend to be overestimated as signals of value, and two, mm-hmm. that people can have a very good skill at promoting themselves in that way. And we've actually looked at other content with Jordan Hall in particular. Mm-hmm. And that's very much the similar impression from that other content so i just say that would be skeptical of the kind of revolutionary nature and not least because like making a large amount of money in divx or in paypal for example especially with the current ecosystem is not really an indication of you having a great analytical mind and and foresight it can also just be you were in the right industry at the right time during an economic mm. boom and and cash spoken on.
2: spoken like a spoken like a better lefty postmodernist well done well done <laughs> yeah. no, no, come on you're, you're, you're being too salty out of the gates on that
1: yeah no so I, I, I just mean that like even you know setting aside Jordan or Daniel and the relative merits I think those heuristics could get you in trouble right. Oh, for sure. The the kind of status and the amount of wealth that someone has as indications of intellectual value.
2: Yeah, no, no. But all I was saying was extrapolated third party verifiable metrics. So Harvard law degree, not that you can you can judge it or not judge it, but you should say outside there in the world. So you, you were just pillorying the guys as word salad gobbledygook, no, they're there. And I'm saying, hey, there's a fucking, there's a, there is a there, there, absolutely. And, 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 and not that they made bank, I don't give a fuck about that, that he was one of the wizard brains behind innovating the entire thing. So systems analysis, just pragmatic. I don't care about market cap. I'm talking about hard things done in the real world, right? And just to say, they're, they're not lightweights. Now you can critique their philosophy. You can critique their impacts at a lot like Doug Rushkoff, right? Is another fascinating thinker, a good friend and, and, He has all kinds of, we have all kinds of lateral and horizontal critiques of where everybody's showing up. Tristan Harris and his critiques on social media, lots of kind of extended friends. And quite often it's hammer and tongs. I mean, people are fundamentally at odds with how the other people are, you know, impact or application in the world, even if we're generally rooting for them as people and friends, you know. So
1: I think Matt and I, because we're academics and you've been through the academic ecosystem as well. So, you you come across a lot of people who one have PhDs um and two are impressive intellectuals in some particular domain. James Lindsay has a PhD in mathematics. He's an idiot promoting conspiracy theorists about globalists and hmm. you know the Marxist revolution that's that's underway. But he does have a PhD <laughs> from a accredited institution yeah. and in my particular case I I have a PhD from Oxford and look at me right so you know the I just I agree with you that it isn't fair to just treat people as if they know they're people who have never achieved anything and and have no no expertise most of the people that we cover do have expertise and have achievements but it, part of our critique is what they use that as a signal oh, yes. of um, yeah
2: absolutely especially when it's cross-disciplinary like they're out past their domain of expertise but they're still talking as if they're subject matter expert right It's like scope creep of, of their punditry
1: i think that's probably yeah. something we and I, I will also completely agree that you know we did select the sense making episode because it was particularly egregious about the the kind of issues that we see oh, in that ludicrous in ludicrous. that ecosystem yeah. but it wasn't, we didn't take it like just to poke fun. It was more that it highlighted the issues that we had covered. We'd covered some other content from Rebel Wisdom and that kind of thing. And it it, it yeah. encapsulated... The, some of the issues that we have and and similar issues that we would have with people like eric weinstein who like you know you could highlight he's a manager do
2: you want to do the psychology or the ontology uh well what do you want to what do you want to jam into like the psychology of the pundit and what you guys are doing the idw and everywhere else and like why are we people's getting so wacky with hot mics Or the ontology, because Matt, you were just mentioning beforehand that I reminded you of a family member and then you sort of asserted a certain position or believed worldview that you thought I had. So I'd love to hear what you thought that was as well. And and we can kind of, you know,
0: clarify Calvary. Yeah, what I was getting at with that, and Chris, you went around to hear this, and this, I was not assigning his worldview to yours. But that was, uh, I was seeing someone in, in my personal life who is a great guy. He does does good work in the world and uh, has an extremely different worldview to me. has a spiritual worldview, a kind of expansive metaphysics, and talks about things like ontologies a lot, Jamie. <laughs> um, and to me, none of it makes any sense. It seems to have some sort of meaning for him, uh, I guess in the same way that certain kinds of spiritual beliefs might uh, as well. And I guess would, he would find it supportive in many different ways but we would enjoy having a glass of whiskey together and sort of shake our heads at each other to to, to him i would be this hard-headed obtuse scientific naturalist type that deals with these concrete things and doesn't um sort of understand these fascinating abstractions that that he really loves yeah well i mean here's here's a quick question have um uh, either of you guys um
2: familiar with psychedelics from a first-person phenomenological perspective
0: <laughs> do you mean have we tried them <laughs> <laughs>
2: have, have you <laughs> tripped balls have you shot the light, surging lightning yes sir yeah, yes have can. you sent it uh
1: i have yes so, i don't think chris has my my is more of the psycho not variety and i'm more of somebody who has experience of like introspective traditions various buddhist traditions and meditation retreats and that kind of stuff so and, and my original degree at university my undergraduate was in study of religions specializing in east asian religions for that uh, because of that interest so i'm familiar with like the kind of contemplative introspective stuff and um, that a lot of you know, David Fuller and the rebel wisdom ecosystem is interested in, but I'm not a psychonaut. No. So <laughs> I've, uh, I, uh, yeah. psychedelics, no, not a big part of Northern Irish life during the troubles. <laughs> mm.
2: so yeah, what, yeah. What, was,
0: what was your question there, Jamie?
2: Well, I mean, just a just state, if we're going to talk, you know, ontologies, then you ain't seen shit till you licked a toad. So, like, what is study of religion is not religiosity, it's not Christed experience, it's not any kind of direct, self referentiable and again, not abstract into empirical truth claims, just within that domain of reference, the, the testimonies of mystics through the ages, what is that? That goes, you, you had an I-it relationship with religiosity, right? It was an object you were studying, right? But the I-thou experience right? Whatever its substrates are, whatever its mechanisms are, you can leave all sorts of giant honking, great question marks, but that it is experienced and has been consistently with variations is legit as a domain and zone of inquiry. Then my question back to you, Matt, would be, um, with your psychedelic experience, did it, did it inform, infuse your worldview at all? Was your worldview impervious to it and just took it as, oh, this is just excited, excitable neurons in a serotonergic system with 5HT2A receptors and interactivities, you know, creating the patronicity of these simulations of insights and ideas, which were probably already within me, and any externalization of that is anthropomorphization of the, you know, basic cognitive perceptual field, which I was basically making sense of myself anyway all the time. Did you do that one? <laughs> I would just say you didn't do enough if you, if you were able to pull off that sleight of hand and stay in your snug harbor.
0: That, yeah. that was an impressive spiel. You're very loquacious, Jamie. <laughs> it's, it's good stuff. Um, look, actually, like Chris, I've, I've, I was very interested in Zen Buddhism when I was younger and actually practiced a bit of meditation. And I think Chris has had you know, the first-hand subjective experience of it as, as well. But to answer your question, I think my answer broadly would be uh, no. It hasn't infused my uh, worldview. I don't think, I mean, I think I, I've got a conventional view of it, which is that psychoactive experiences. You could include stuff like MDMA, for instance, which people use for, say, couples therapy or even people that are terminally ill, and it can be helpful. Certain kinds of perturbations through just the normal operation of our biophysical functioning yeah can 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 be helpful in certain situations and likewise meditation can be deeply relaxing and calming and um you know quiet the chatter in your mind all that stuff all that stuff can be good do i think it gives some sort of cosmic special perspective on things which is fundamentally better or elevated above just you know how i am now which is basically caffeinated and little else Mm -hmm. um no the answer yeah
2: yeah you know, I, I would agree. I mean, ultimately, I would say that I'm much more of a, an agnostic mechanist, like figure out the neurophysiological mechanisms of accident that prompt certain interiority, right? And then you just you just move those knobs and levers in a very agnostic way without any fucking storytelling about all the, you know, all the imaginal and hypothetical. So, you just back out any faith-based untestable things whatsoever. You create neurophysiological, you know, protocols, put your you know eeg into this state do this with your vagal tone tone increase endorphins oxytocin serotonin dopamine whatever you're optimizing for via endogenous and exogenous mechanisms and then see the fuck who's home and then you start constructing a sort of n equals 1 gather your own data falsify all statements be bayesian as fuck throughout you know and you know and and, and occam's razory too right and you basically just steer that so that you have a sort of Rational mysticism or an agnostic gnosticism, like the Gnostic part, is like okay, definitely something happens subjectively, right? To to a, a host of peak states that people have had throughout the ages, you know, all the stuff at Madison with the you know MRIs and the Tibetan monks and 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 Matthew Ricard and all right, all, all those things. You're like, okay, there are neurophysiological empirical correlates to the subjective interior. It may not be one to one. We're probably only just kind of starting to figure it out. But if you do that. Then you just you you completely flip the script on all the storytelling, which I think is where you guys take issue. Right? You're like, all these just so stories, right, are kind of push it and and, and not really falsifiable. So let's mm. just back them out and then say, we're gonna be agnostic about the content you have, but we're gonna be specific and protocol driven on the neurophysiological setup. Go have your thing. Now come back. Now you pass it, you make meaning of it, and you can be bring it back into contextual paradigmatic rationalism. You just name which lenses you're laying over it and then therefore what kinds of results would you expect to glean from that data set
1: hmm
0: yeah um yeah i guess you touched on the other issue i've got with it i mean i don't i don't feel like it's really meaningful to wax that lyrical on those sort of transcendent um, subjective experiences um the but yeah as you say the other issue i've got with it is that there is no reality testing like it's not observable it's fundamentally a revealed truth right so when a prophet the interior experience that we have yeah so it, it could be someone that's practicing zen it could be someone who's who's claiming that they've that they're running like uh, i forget who it was running thousands of different paradigms in their head simultaneously
1: Seventy different paradigms simultaneously oh 70 i was exaggerating <laughs> <laughs> sorry who,
0: who was that jordan hall jordan hall Oh, it was on job. a bad day but the problem is none of that stuff can be tested we have to take it on faith that mm-hmm. that these things are happening so it's very easy oh, wait, to, wait. to talk you say, about it when you say take it on faith uh, which things are happening well, well say running 70 different paradigms oh right well for sure I and mean, yeah. that, that's true with with any so yeah so that's why i don't subscribe to it as a something that one can talk about sensibly or, or disagree about I, you know you either have to just accept that it's happening or, or not
1: i i probably have a slightly different view on matt on that uh, jamie because like uh like indicated so i i do have an academic interest like in the topic around like ritual psychology and the the biographical transformative aspect. Uh, effect of like imagistic experiences high arousal dysphoric rituals and that Mm -hmm. kind of thing so i i think there are ways that you can look did you did you you say dysphoric ritual yeah that's my particular area like
2: unhappy ordeals
1: uh yeah like fire walking or self-flagellation or extreme deprivation cold water immersion those kind of things so that's I,
2: I wrote all about that. I wrote about in my last book. I wrote about exactly that. the 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 penitentes and the and, and the and the Spartans flogging and right the lot. So
1: that's my that's my like core research area and I taking part in like misogi events and firewalking events and stuff in, in in Japan as well not hugely involved but I have some experience of them and like a personal experience of training in in various martial arts which <laughs> which generated similar experiences dysphoric experiences through training but one thing is to say that I'm not approaching the topic from like a strictly non-experiential approach and I'm particularly you no know, study of religion It actually, to a fault, is phenomenologically inclined in a lot of ways. But where Matt is talking about, I think what Matt is emphasizing is the claims made about introspective enlightenment experiences or uh, appeals to special knowledge gained through introspection are inherently subjective. And there's so many cases where people throughout history have claimed that, have even been recognized as like meditation masters and and have in their personal lives and in various other ways been, you know, sexually abusive alcoholics and and kind of yeah. cult leaders. And so I Matthew Ricard and the kind of empirical approach to quantifying what goes on in meditative states and stuff, I think there's value to that, but I also think that that is slightly oversold in the same way like neurotheology is oversold about locating the god particles or the
2: like like andy andy newberg's work
1: yeah or or you know long back platinga and the the god helmet and you know the uh so like i don't think there's nothing there about like transcranial stimulation being able to present euphoric experiences that might you know seem similar to the kind of religious ecstasies but that isn't our critique like in large part if people are into psycho not stuff and and kind of spiritual reflection more power to them like it's it's not my and our jam we're uh like kind of Im- mm-hmm. empirical yeah, yeah. uh rationalists but it's, that's not the issue because there's plenty of people that I see do that, that I find interesting, take value from. It's more the connection to the, you know, the kind of guru side of it. And there it would be oh, yeah. things like, uh, to give a concrete example and let you, you know, respond. Um, like a lot of the figures around what we would call the sense making ecosystem or the idw or you know the the alternative media ecosystem they had a big issue when it came to parsing the evidence about vaccines and still now (laughs) have uh, a big issue with it and to me that's an illustration that for all of the the kind of discussions about metacritical faculties and you know other ways of knowing and stuff that there's a fundamental just lack of critical approach to things people didn't notice the issue with like brett weinstein um or or address really the criticisms except david and David suffered for that. And and even ivermectin or other such things. So to me, and Matt, it's mm-hmm. it's kind of those issues where the rubber hits the road, you know, like the... Um, that was specifically
2: Brett and Heather's position, yeah?
1: Yes, but like, so Daniel Schmachtenberger was doing updates on the pandemic with uh, David Fuller, which I listened to, and his take was not as anti-vaxxing as Brett has become, but certainly very ambivalent about the evidence around hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin at a time where the evidence is not really ambivalent around those treatments. And the mainstream science position would be there's very weak evidence and you shouldn't be recommending at that stage. And similarly, Jordan Hall has, in the same way like Jordan Peterson, made various statements suggesting that pharmaceutical companies are inventing variants or maybe involved with that kind of stuff so i would say mm. that a lot of the sense making ecosystem is if not anti-vax uh curious they're certainly very tolerant <laughs> of anti-vaccine views they've
2: got they've got borderline oppositional defiant disorder don't
1: they it, well to certain to certain institutions right. narratives they're not very defined when it comes to talking to robert malone and peter mcculloch or anybody like that
2: well h- well no no well come on like I, I think that is specifically brett and heather hasn't that been because uh, i'm not aware of Joe um, i mean I, daniel is for sure comes up from a vedic background with with very different orientations to health medicine etc cetera, etc cetera. so whatever he was expressing was probably as as he's been conceiving of it and they were also b- backing they were funding a meta-analysis of hydroxychloroquine well before it kind of blew up and went sideways in the culture wars and they and they had a panel of physicians and they were actually doing legit stuff so it wasn't just coming from the social media cesspool. it was coming from you know recent specific and dedicated um, research and analysis that that professionals were conducting and so he was feeding that up but we sure there's that in that kind um, of
1: case would you say like daniel or jordan or anybody in that ecosystem is like well placed to run clinical trials on the efficacy of vaccine treatments
2: well i, I mean they have it they have a nine figure um sign you know n- nutritional supplements company but that's it that yeah but that that would be they ex- founded and have a team and budget to stand things up like that and have familiar protocols where they have funded double blinds on there.
1: that would be that would be a really good gone. example on like the so you know like for us jimmy like nootropic area is a, a fertile minefield for shoddy studies conducted by companies with lots of money but designed with researchers' degrees of freedom to get desired outcomes. So, like, Onnit yeah. has run studies, you know, and they're, they're useless. They're absolutely useless. And in general...
2: Have, have you guys actually tracked them? Have you, have you run down and run independent ones to cross-reference?
1: Not run independent, but...
2: Or you just look at the study and you just say, oh, I don't sign off on the study design?
1: No, it's more like, you know... Like,
2: well, what's making you say they're crummy?
1: Oh, because in both of our cases, we're academics with training in assessing like the methodology of studies and that kind of thing but but even even just from coming up from skepticism and that kind of circles you learn to identify low powered studies that have large amounts of degrees of freedom when when a company that is like selling supplements is find research which is
2: there's, there's some motivated reasoning there isn't right
1: there? and and there's also a you know a whole bunch of end outcomes and then only the significant ones are reported and so there's there's like basic
2: some happy p hacking in the mix and you're you rub it to your mother's
1: brother. Right. so like the you know the the kind of not just nootropics but the whole supplement ecosystem is awash with like junk research oh, and absolutely and that yeah. that's why people in that sphere like they might have the money to run studies, but by and large what they would be better off doing would be paying like an independent research lab that wasn't uh that like the Co- you know not Cochrane but something akin to that like an an independent research body that is isn't yeah. amb- ambiguous. That, that's what
2: that's what a neuro hacker has done. Yeah. They, 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 they work with their parties so you... to oversee their stuff. But listen, listen, I, I'm curious because I mean, so far I just, fe- it feels to me like we're sort of in violent agreement. Well, I... like basically everything that you guys are concerned or skeptical about, I am also, um, I mean, I just wrote a book with a, a culty cult checklist, which, you know, is highly resonant with your guys' galaxy brain, sense of grieving, like, like your guys' checklist. That's what actually clued me on. You're like decoding the gurus. I just wrote a thing about gurus and about cultic tendencies so to me you know and yes let's just let's uh, under, agree that we have had different lived experiences different you know academic trainings perspectives on life etc and um i mean i'm the i'm the son of a fucking royal naval test pilot like i grew up hyper rationalist and remain that way i just happen to start having some neck-snappingly interesting life experiences Big mountain powder skiing, surfing and kite surfing and windsurfing, you know, psychedelics, live music, and just being like, oh, fascinating. Here I am studying history and ethnographies and culture. What the fuck is this? And let me go and hit the books and then try and unpack the, the, the rational academic understandings of what that was and then leave that in the realm of unfalsifiable imaginal experiential content. But on the other hand, it's where we live. Right, we, we we only we, we our entire experience or of our entire lives is is experienced via our interiority. We try and suppress it or deny it or mock it or ridicule it or marginalize it and be like, wait a second, that's fucking bizarre. We're gonna privilege weights and measures. We're gonna privilege you know fucking EEGs on on, on screen as more real than actually our self awareness and intersubjectivity in this moment. Like, what the fuck doesn't that seem almost backwards?
0: well jamie i mean someone like myself i'm not a behaviorist i recognize that people and animals have interior lives except me i do have my doubts about chris sometimes Uh, but (laughs) so it's not that it's it's more that when things are not directly observable it can be a happy hunting ground for bullshit right inflation distortion
2: misrepresentation so many shysters out there So that's why I would say, so so just don't ever presume to map it or cling to it as your reified interpretation. You just say, that's all just phenomena. That's just phenomena. And then just stay back to, you know, I mean, you you guys know how to do this. this. This would just be running multiple... Um, you know, like and sort of reality tunnels at a given time. You're like, okay, we tap on that window. This is the world we're in, right? We're discussing interior experiences or we're we're strict rational materialists, We, you know, whatever it would be. You just acknowledge the truth claims of the paradigm you're going to tap into and then work within, but you also have the ability to tap the fuck out of those and then be still, you know, in, in your, whatever, your balcony, your dashboard, the home screen, take your pick, but like you're there before you've clicked into. So, so then absolute truth of any of those specific reality tunnels or or phenomenological frameworks you just take as contextual and provisional and it's like does it do what it says it does and does it shoot more or less straight and then you can sort of assess it and then you can use that you have a sort of utilitarian view on which tool framework perspective worldview gestalt whatever the fuck you want to say you're going to use at that given time but you have the ability to click back up to the level above all of them and still be self-aware in your time place and perspective taking and then also intersect intersubjectively like how are we doing right also having shared shared mapping of what the fuck's going on the trilogue
0: hmm. um, yeah like i think chris and i tend to give people a fair bit of leeway when it comes to that kind of very personal phenomenological stuff so for instance that's that's what
2: i mean like shut the fuck up about your story like i don't want to hear your story because it's unfalsifiable right so just tell me the outcome i want to clear i want to understand your patterns or your source code not your fucking personal narrative
0: yeah it's a bit like jordan peterson and his self-help books right i don't really have a problem with somebody writing a self-help book and creating a kind of framework whereby people can create structure and find meaning in their lives and whatever it's not really something where science and analysis and logic and reason is is necessarily the best tool for the job where i tend to have a problem is when someone like jordan peterson he, he likes to live in that world where he believes genuinely and truly that but underneath the material world of, of, it's of, a realm I, of spirit I, or that's Nikean right yes like ex- exactly which in to him is actually more real than mm. the observable universe. And that can lead to some very strange places. So I want to I want to <laughs> go back to, to one thing you said at the beginning, and I, I want to concede something here, which is that Chris and I are not in a good place to throw stones for people to, for having long, indulgent conversations because <laughs> our podcasts are always way too long and we are very indulgent. So oh. I, I just want to concede that. We, we do just take, uh, and our, our format is is to take a piece of content and almost yeah. use it as a, as a demonstration or a, uh, as an exercise. So I'll concede that and that, you know, the, the three of you guys are a hell of a lot more than was just going on in that conversation. Uh, and we did, that one I think did, did come across our radar because somebody had seen it and did, this is wild, you should cover this one. <laughs> I was mortified to see that it had like a hundred
2: thousand views. I'm like, oh dear God. You know, like, what are you people thinking? So, so yes. Um, but, but here's the other thing. Here, here's what I would um, challenge you guys to do. Cause I feel like it's yours to do, right. Is take the piss out of anything you see, right. Use and analyze frameworks, but don't get sloppy with the application of your model. Because I was super intrigued when I first it, I'm like, oh shit, Galaxy Brain is, oh wow, that, that's a great term, and and, and here's the things, and, and here's all the steps, this is really tracking with the kind of stuff i had been modeling. And then it felt like you just blunt instrumented everybody and kind of taught them with very similar brushes. And it was like, look, for this to work over the long term, you've got to have real differentiation, like the application of your model applies contrast that wouldn't otherwise be perceivable. And the people are like, oh shit, no, I'm seeing the ones and zeros of this whole fucking IDW space right Mm. oh and 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 constructive critique even if it's not well on the one hand they did this other thing kind of nicely if you're going to trash someone fucking trash them well give them a clean execution but what would be your best suggestion so if we're talking about group coherence do you reject the notion outright are there better models is there different research on the other hand devil's advocate that kind of thing because like to me that's what you guys are that's your fucking training and my god you'd be making a generative contribution to the broader conversations versus just be
0: I I'd love to say yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, we do do a lot of negging, that's true. Um, and, but, you know, we also, I do think, um, recognise a lot of differentiation. We don't lump all the people that we've criticised into the same bucket, nor do we think that they're equally bad or good in the various different ways. We're very much aware, by the way, that these terms, like calling someone a guru, is you can just use it as an easy slur right so uh, we have to be really careful about that stuff but you know when it comes to like more substantive things that you guys were talking about say in that conversation like putting aside the excesses perhaps or the indulgences i mean uh, you know because i went on to do a lot of reading about game b and and coherence <laughs> and all of these things right and you know like uh, you know what you guys were talking about you know that was that's that's real stuff that it was much bigger than just that conversation that's that's a whole program that a bunch of different people to different degrees are heavily invested in and you know there are claims that are made there for instance that you know game a i.e everything that's happened and is happening is is totally broken um so i think science was described mm. as completely useless at this point like like a completely useless way to understand the world and game b was sort of treated as it was taken as a, an assumption really that this is a fantastic solution for doing things better but i guess i'd i'd probably put it to you like what evidence can you point to that that game b as it's described can improve on what's going on
2: at the moment um look, i think i think there's a bunch of well intentioned people in and around and near that space, some form of like proactive civilization. So, whoops, this one seems to be self terminating and not putting on the brakes fast enough. You know what is? What are the lifeboats? So, in that respect, hats off to everybody who, who's even attempting to give a shit. Um, that said, I think I think. Plan B is, is has got fucking so many structural issues. Um, the you're know, just the starter at least in the states, right? You're bringing your A game is the one you want to bring. Bringing your B game is not the one you want to bring. So just branding wise, I would have said you know, that they, they they're gimped right out of the gates. Um, the next is that you essentialize all of human culture and all of civilization post this mythological East of Eden, out of the hunter-gatherer groovy time like Harare, you know, and into 10,000 years of patriarchy, agriculture, bureaucracy, priest class, taxation, all bad things, right? And that's that. And then game B is nothing more nor less than the antithetical solution to all of those bad things. Well, what are they exactly? Well, we don't know yet. It's emergent, right? Like Then you're just into a fucking cargo cult. So there's no validating it and there's no steering. And the moment you get a bunch of people who think they're all all allies and confederates within under the game B umbrella and they get together and try and do anything in the real world together. And it will blow apart within months because no one has any fucking idea what they're there. They all supposedly said yes to actually is in grounded application
1: so jimmy there's a bunch of of stuff that would be interesting to follow on there and i think we can talk about whether we see collective cohesion as like a reasonable goal or ways to achieve it but one thing i wanted to respond to was your suggestion that you know it would be more productive for us to to be critical yes but to like kind of highlight areas of agreement and and you know and, and provide productive feedback right and I I think Matt and I would probably... Or
2: even better better propositions. Like, it doesn't have to always be acknowledging that they did something right, although that's nice, if it's true. (laughs) But also, what the fuck do you guys do? Like, triangulate, give give us a synthesis of of your antithesis.
1: Yeah, so I think there is probably where there's a, like, slight disconnect. You know, you were asking, like, areas where we wouldn't see eye to eye. I think I can identify some there. Mm. So, you know, you guys described on that episode the Omega rule, right? The idea of basically like extreme huh,
2: which i always say is we should just say shouldn't we say benefit of the doubt guys doesn't everybody already know that one let's just do that you know? so
1: you know the terminology <laughs> issues aside like i would frame that as be extremely charitable to people and if you take that in a the Mott or Bailey, the, whichever one is the, the easily defensible one, it's just like, oh, don't be immediately dismissive of ideas. Sometimes wacky ideas can be useful. And yes, of course they can. However, I think my critique of a lot of the sense-making ecosystem is that it isn't critical enough it's too indulgent of people's ideas and there isn't enough pushback and what yeah. Matt and I are articulating is a different worldview one which is pretty mainstream in science which is be extremely critical of yourself of other people yeah. and and oh, yeah. usually the the actual you know the existing expertise and stuff the people who have spent decades on a the topic they are often right about things more than the people who have just discovered, you know, about viruses in the past six months. And in in the case of like where that would come into actual focus as a difference. I watched your mm-hmm. interview with Brett Weinstein. Now, I know in that interview, you guys basically didn't really discuss COVID and that kind of thing. However, if I was having a conversation with Brett Weinstein in 2021, after he had been promoting strongly anti-vaccine rhetoric one of the main anti-vaccine figures in the covid pandemic i wouldn't have had a conversation like that and i would also because of the what i know about evolution and what i know about Brett's view of evolution i think he's got a pseudoscientific view of evolution so that would be like places
2: which which is the which is the pseudoscientific bit
1: oh a lot of it but
0: oh, uh, like, the it, Omega- I mean, like the Omega specifically
2: the hunter gatherers guide that that but, like but,
0: what's in there or or stuff he said elsewhere well both yeah so but you know in a nutshell there's a there's so much but I, I, basically he and Heather would claim that basically anything that exists as a property of humans human behavior or physiology or anything even something that exists in society something that's happened historically everything can be traced back directly to an evolutionary cause so brett famously once talked about to richard dawkins i think it was he he talked about the german invasion of russia during world war 2 and and gave an evolutionary cause for that specific event now that's that's probably at the extreme end
1: another one like there's yeah there's a rule but brett outlines the omega principle the hunter galler's guide to you know the 21st century is just an extension of his worldview his worldview in general is skeptical of toothpaste and of vaccines and of you know very familiar to people toothpaste toothpaste or the fried in toothpaste fluoridization, you know, six to one, half a dozen, the other, but the, um, the, so the, uh,
0: but, but the rationale is that it's not natural, right? That you didn't no. um, yeah.
1: but that, 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 so that thing, like the mega principle is that if something has been around for a long yeah. time is costly, it is likely an, an adaptation. And that led Brett, for sure. example, to say, uh, uh, on Rogan suggests that, you know, when people are hung and they, ejaculate uh, in the throes of death that this is an adaptionist thing because in some cases that might have somehow entered the genital <laughs> cavity. In it seems
2: like a, c- it's a it, bought some unsuspecting maiden in the ear yeah, and had a so, the, But what that shows such fuck? a that
1: far-fetched, fundamental it, misunderstanding of so, so, evolution. So, so
2: Darwin selected for dudes with boners and uh, when they die like we really we're really making this case like maybe the galapagos there's just this closeted full bunch of auto erotic asphyxiators and they're just elevating ahead of us this is this is loopy so so was your question though that you 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 had seen an interview or a talk that we had you presumed that it happened after he'd already been coming out publicly against ivermectin and other stuff i you can tell me which one it was i mean it's so the one of the older ones We've been together in person. We we've had them um out to visit us when they were here in town to be on Rogan. And we and we talked heart to heart and 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 expressed all, you know, trying to calibrate, like, hey, where are you guys? Hey, what are you thinking? Like, and actually, no, we're not even interested in talking about vaccines and COVID and quarantine. We'd like to hang out, fucking drink some wine, listen to some music, catch up on our families, like, you know, and hey, god damn, yeah, if if there's any way around it, guys, don't die on that though you know don't the fucking dead end you know like it may feel in the heat of battle it may feel like it has to happen now but I, you can just see structurally uh, there is no defending um those you now take the position of hey there's a bunch of off-label off-patent potentially useful drugs out there and hell's bells where we're sitting on our hands waiting for this brand new tested shit we should absolutely be screening and vetting regardless of economic incentives of big pharma and that was—is there is their root position, and I support them in that. So right once it came betting on specific horses to win, I was like, I don't know. I have zero capacity to judge and make an informed assessment, but I'm not going to take a public stand and get sucked into the echo chamber. So
1: that would be the that would be like a point that I would make. So that particular conversation, uh, the time that i seen it, at least as it released on YouTube, was in 2021. So I presumed it was, you know, within the past six months or something like that. But Brett started his anti-vaxxing stuff in 2020. But even that, so that's something that Matt and I talk about we've talked about it with sam harris as well we have no doubt that brett and heller or or any of the figures that we cover interpersonally can be extremely nice people and can also you know be engaging people to talk about and may have expertise and knowledge about specific areas but in that case and this is the like a a critique that i guess i have of you guys collectively is that there's a half-hearted acknowledgement of criticism but what Brett and Heller were doing, it wasn't like it's a small part of their output promoting anti vaccine It's a it was a huge thing. They were the people that introduced Rogan to Robert Malone and, and Steve Kirsch and Peter McCulloch and, and even now, right? Brett is very strongly claiming vindication. So it, by choosing not to address that or address it in a very, you know, slight way, that that is to me like indulgent in a way that like well, who who
2: are, you, who are you experiencing wait wait who are you experiencing doing that
1: i would, so uh, what you just you, you're, you're
2: saying sort of accommodating
1: like what you just accommodating screen
2: should go more strongly challenged
1: yes so that that would be you know the the thing that i would say would you be willing to say like that brett is openly anti vaccine because to us that's obvious and i think to most people outside of the sense making ecosystem no, honestly like, dude i i, I
2: I don't. I don't honestly really track all these substrates and different paths, you know, because then some some people will say I'm not anti vax I'm 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 asking for more research on novel vaccines, right? And they they might split between the existing old class, the Johnson and Johnsons, and that kind of stuff. Even though, then, having said that, a majority of their public statements and definitely soundbites and tweets and you know lower lower context things start coming across in a consistent fact pattern closer to where you're describing
1: Yeah, so that
2: right and so but
0: but you know so so that's a that's a tricky bit yeah. to be like where exactly are you one thing to be aware of jamie um as it happens i have published on the psychology of uh, vaccination and i was researching it before covid came along um and at chris yeah. too there's a obviously as you would know there is a very long history of this as a cultural phenomena oh, um, for sure and it's just got reskinned and repopulated with updated talking yeah products. Yeah, yeah, that's right, and it's actually super interesting how the old talking points were just kind of recycled and rebadged. Uh, yeah, but that was the one tell. The- that was the tell. There was the ling- linguistic fingerprints. You know, like- yeah, and and one of the things that's a, that's a, just a, a constant that's well known is that and anti-vaxxer all claims are not an anti-vaxxer. They just have concern about these yeah, specific exactly. vaccines. Yeah. So, so we're back into Russian
2: right? So 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 you know, my, my sense is, um, you know, Chris is is just. Yeah, I honest to God don't think we were talking at a, at a time when it had been acute. That's one point. The other is, we're not journalists. If we're getting together as mates and friends to have a conversation about a specific topic that's current, present, animated, mutual, we're not going to be taking each other out to the witch formatively for the fucking recording later. We're going to be in a good conversation, right? So now that said, I had Andrew Cohen, the, the fallen guru, right, on our program. And I mean, you can listen to it. I, I fucking take the piss out of him and 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 absolutely hold his feet to the fire. And he didn't want his feet held to the fire and we had fun with it and it was mutually respectful and we kind of, you know, and and bowed off the mat when we were done sparring and me throwing everything at him, right? So it's just that, that kind of capacity is absolutely there. I think it's just contact and consent as to what are we doing with each other and what's the highest and best use of the rare times we do get to carve out time to shoot the shit and and you know
1: maybe you know share it so there'd be like the divisions and lines right because like i would imagine in that case you would regard some of the stuff that he was involved in as you know beyond the PLO. it needs to be addressed or you'd be uh you know it would be an, an example that comes from the you know actually somebody involved in the conversation so jordan hall had a conversation with a propertarian uh curt with Kurt oh yeah. Dooli- yeah 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 i watched what's that. his name curtis do or i don't know he's got a he's, he's got like, a cartoonish oh, name oh. but in in any case like david david fuller spoke to jordan about that conversation and about the fact that jordan really didn't challenge him on anything and he didn't highlight to his audience about the context of why the guy was controversial oh, yeah. right he's an ethno-nationalist he's a like neo-nazi
2: yeah.
1: a, anti-semite in the 20s uh, a, yeah, like yeah. That was exactly
2: that was exactly my feedback. Yeah. So th- it was that was exactly my. I, I called him and I said, "Mate." He goes, "He goes. What are you going to tell me? You know that I shouldn't have done?" It? I was like, "Fuck no! You should have done it. You should have leaned into it and really gone someplace edgy and interesting that really put you know t- proof to to that guy's claims." So absolutely. Uh, so
1: that I guess that is one thing is that the lines are different because, like, for Matt and I, strong anti-vaccine stance is not something that we wouldn't mention if we had someone on for an interview. Like, regardless of what else we agreed with them on, uh, we'd we'd feel the need to address it in the same way of like HIV/AIDS denialism. Like, it wouldn't be something that we could overlook. But the other mm-hmm. aspect of that <laughs> is that when challenging people respectfully, like David did with Jordan, for example, the, the a similar argument is presented that you know like what Matt and I are not saying is that it isn't okay to have conversations with people that have extreme views or have different views to you and and to not constantly be like tearing them a new one. that's not what we're saying, but it's more like Louis Ferrou talks to, a whole variety of people with extreme beliefs. Nobody is under any confusion about whether he's endorsing their perspective or whether he's critical of it, right? It's very clear in his content. It's not always so clear in the content that is around the sense-making ecosystem. And indeed, the the message is more like that there's an avoidance of direct criticism of a perspective in in lieu of like maintaining interpersonal relationships with influential people and that that seems like that's concerning
2: well, well, no, no, no,
1: no, come on, no, 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 that, that's
2: inference at the end. So you slip that one in. Everything else I was tracking.
1: Yes, so I, um, I would, but I, I would take that particular critique. Not you know, like for specific people, I think that applies. But I wouldn't say in general. It's just because people want to increase their influence. So I'm just that specific yeah. point is more like, uh, I think that applies to specific people, but not everyone.
2: No, for sure. I mean, I I think I call it sort of the the model train set, right? You've got a bunch of Asperger kids on the spectrum down in their mom's basement playing with their model train set. And they've got a badass fucking model train set. And they've they've done the little trees and the hills and the tunnels and the fucking lake and the ducks, the whole shooting match. And they do not like messing up their model train set to play with other people's. And so you end up with a fragility and a reactivity, um, basically a traumatized middle school wunderkind, still playing out through many of the conversations and the interactions and the debate. And then there's, you know, there's not just bypassing in some of the fringier communities, but there's also just metacognitive bypassing. There's such a level of dissociation and, again, lack of falsifiability, because this is just pie in the sky, fucking word salad, right? right. And, and, and really, it's just down to the persuasiveness of, of the rhetoric to who, who, say, who holds the day. So yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think all of those things are true and it would be fantastic if there was, because I mean, we do have this conversation offline, we just don't fucking film it, but it, it's basically been like, look guys, I don't think any of us would back any any other person's flag they're flying, right? Like each of us are hell bent on having to do the thing we have to do as best we can. But, and I was like, you know, even though nobody, none of us would follow each other, we all would be like, no, nope, I'm going to do my thing. And I think it's better for me or for any, any, any other assessment. Um, I still want your flags flying at the end of the day. So rooting for their success, showing up to challenge each other and hold each other fucking accountable, you know, because what you guys were alluding to, which is I think a, a super interesting uh, passageway to explore is what are the psychological effects of being a thought leader in a globally connected, you know, like limbic capitalism feedback loop yeah. and what's happening there to otherwise, because I mean, doesn't it seem people tend to get crazier the more into it they all get for longer like it does seem to be a dose exposure to mm. something and i think it's you know structural um structural narcissism mania
0: um, and and righteous aggrievement. yeah i know jamie like you said at the beginning you've got a bunch of your own issues with game b and amiga principles and all of the other stuff that's kind of um described there so i don't want to attribute you as to signing on to all that stuff but i thought it might be helpful like the, the specific things that we talked about then they really point at i guess why fundamentally chris and i just don't like pretty much the whole kit and caboodle right and firstly there's a thing that you guys were talking about which is that mixing of the personal and the sort of professional it it 's difficult if you 've got a crazy uncle right he could there could be a crazy anti vaxer and stuff like that, and it is sensible to say look let 's just not talk about that we're having we 're going to have lunch, <laughs> you know what I mean and <laughs> encourage them not to talk about it right it's, it 's different obviously if you put on your professional hat, you go into a conference or something like that and and you are an expert on this. So, what we see, and not just of the sense makers, but also IDWs, but also the whole alternative sphere, we don't have a good word ecosystem. for it, is that firstly, ecosystem, they they do mix, and you know we're probably guilty of this too. We, I sort I say we, we mix, right, the personal with the professional and, and that makes it more difficult to actually deal with these issues rigorously the second problem is that the that sort of generalized sense making concept which is that if you have this kind of um these sort of polymathic type abilities that kind of equips you with these meta skills or something to to dive into any freaking topic right when i t- just i know for a fact it's just not possible you yeah, need sure. you need 20 years experience in rocket science yeah. if you want to do rocket science yeah, um yeah. and the other thing too is just at the discourse level right you have this omega dream charity basically that that playing with ideas oh. In an expansive kind of way not 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 cutting things down but rather building on them and exploring them and so on and i think you know that's a vibe i get um not just from that conversation but more generally and i'm actually strongly i mean that's fun don't get me wrong i like it's it's fun to, to pot and drink a couple of glasses of wine and have those chats but as as a motive actually figuring out how the world works, that's actually a terrible way to do it. What I like is exactly how academia does it, right? Which is, I'll give a manuscript to a good colleague of mine who wants me to succeed, wants my work to be done, and they tear the shit out of it. They try to find every possible problem with it every possible criticism fair ones even unfair ones because their criticism could be bad but that would be the same kind of thought that many readers of my article might possibly have and the bad criticisms are good criticisms what what they don't do is hey wow that's amazing oh, i love all that now let's take these things yeah, yeah, and okay, then build guys, on them. i mean come on yeah it sounds like you're just sad that we're friends with each other i mean i mean i
2: mean honestly what we, what you're presuming is that the only fucking conflict we would have we would have on fucking recorded video rather than that's the last fucking place we would have head-to-heads. We have head-to-heads all the time. We radically disagree about a ton of shit, right? I actually, well, probably, Matt, Matt while you were doing your bit on, on anti-vax psychologies, I wrote, I was like, what the fuck is happening to all my friends? Like, we used to be together, and even if we had wildly different perspectives, we were, you can meet on the same boat. And now we were just like drifting apart in the ocean. I had understanding uh, for what the hell was sucking people off the the the, the, the middle path you know of of cognition right and it seemed to me that there were psychological four psychological types that leave you specifically susceptible to random whack-ass shit and conspiracy thinking so the first one when and it was generated from these conversations the anti-establishment rebel Mm -hmm. right who will always back the counter-opinion even because the establishment can never fucking be right right Mm -hmm. the next was the guilty liberal right the the Mm -hmm. the vote for hillary masks or citizenry the whole bit then then the loyal foot soldier always just looking for manichaean light and dark and a good a good leader to follow to follow yep, um, yep. right and so absolutely we've all been wrestling with this right and 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 i find it sad basically just to see different folks get pulled by different forces and, and my, to your guys point about having both having contemplative meditative experience right my sense is, is is it is a degree of egoic inflation that people's psychologies we're not wired to handle it and if somebody hadn't, or let's just say they came up through an academic path and suddenly blew up in their forties, right? They, you know, they they might have not any exposure or practice with that kind of recursive feedback, intersubjective feedback loops. So what the fuck? So many people caring about what I say. So in conversations with so many people, so many bad faith miscommunications, right? And then so much more less incentive to keep going back to it and stoking those fires. Like that's not healthy for anyone.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I understand. I understand that principle in the context of social media, because obviously platforms like Twitter are just you know horrible cesspools of bad faith, mean criticisms, and nothing can get off the ground. It, to me, it, like it. it as a heuristic it's the kind of thing that's very appealing when you think of it in those terms but when i translate it and think of okay now that's this is not social media anymore this is not just a casual entertainment this is actual genuine research work about how does a work or how do vaccines work then okay. I, I just like I like Game A. I'm a Game A guy. I, I prefer it. I think it's working pretty well. I think there's always ways to improve it. We we had uh, philosopher Liam Bright on, who was arguing strongly for getting rid of peer review and going for this sort of post-publication open-source peer review. I could lots of interesting ways if we talk about concrete things in which we could improve the way we go about epistemology, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but it's the it's more the vague hand waving utopian stuff that rubs us. the wrong way I think. Jimmy before yeah, you yeah. and should.
1: Before you respond can I just layer on top cuz it's kind of the same point that Matt wants to yeah. make that like Matt and I are both advocates for like open science practices and reform in methodology as like more robust statistics and that kind of thing. So, you know, Stuart Ritchie Ben Goldacre's mm-hmm. books which are very critical of current scientific system we we'd totally be on board with and and like willing to discuss those things and and have our own critiques of like journals and and all academics are to some extent you know there might be some who are like slightly you know typically people who are tenured professors who have been very successful might be a bit more defensive um, of the status quo but a lot of people especially younger academics are very open to reform efforts and those kind of things so to me that that kind of atmosphere that you find in academia which is like robust harsh criticism which is not it is taken personally on in various conferences and whatnot but like the value the the kind of guiding star is that that's what you needed to do to get published and work and in the uh, alternative ecosphere, there's a lot of talk and a lot of back padding about people having difficult conversations and hashing things out. But by and large, and, and this is an exception, this conversation is an exception. I would I would generally, you know, to your credit, say that that usually people like us or anybody that would have like a strong critique is labeled bad faith. Right? Eric Eric Weinstein was asked by David Fuller. No, no, come on, come on! You guys
2: were just taking the piss, and I thought pretty good faith. There were some places where it got a little redundant, that kind of thing. But in general, I thought you guys were taking a fair crack at it, so I, I had a smile. Yes, on so I'm not. For that, for I, I'm hope.
1: not saying you haven't accused us of doing that, and the, the very fact that you're willing, you know, to have a conversation with us speaks to the fact that you think we we are not operating just, you know, to be cruel and and to take the piss out of people. Though. You know, that that comes up. It's more that you must have noticed as well in the, the alternative media sphere, there's a very thin skinness to criticism that doesn't come with a large amount of, you know, you now you're a really great thinker and you've got this, but you haven't just considered this slight alteration to your approach. It's a very like yes and and any criticism where you would be direct and kind of harsh, like Sam Harris, for example, recently. Mm-hmm. He is, in large respect, excommunicated from areas because his criticism was direct, and he is accused of bad faith criticism. And I, it seems obvious to me that none of it is... In, in a, which direction? So Sam's criticism directed at the anti-vaccine, at Joe Rogan, at, at Brett Weinstein, mm. was mm-hmm. is largely dismissed in as being motivated Mm. by Trump derangement syndrome was the most recent explanation, but it applies across the ecosystem. Like what I was saying was David Fuller asked Eric Weinstein if he'd ever encountered good quality critiques of his position that were in good faith and he couldn't name one and that's insane. Like there are people in academia Mm. that are like that and they're regarded as egomaniacs Right, like because there's there's always valid criticisms of your position, so it's not it's not like it seems there's a there's a kind of ideal presented of hard debates and openness to criticism that actually happens, but there's no evidence of it or very little evidence of it in the public <laughs> sphere. I guess that's it. And I, I, you here <laughs> now, I am saying to your credit that you are not demonstrating that kind of thin-skinned reactiveness. So. That's to your credit, but you must have noticed that as well, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean,
2: for sure, most of them are Yanks, right? And and they have no they have no culture around just taking the piss out of each other, yeah. right? And that there's joy, and delight in 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 the backing and forcing, you know. So so that part they they are true. rather self serious, uh, uh, right? And so banter, playful, generative banter um, is not necessarily, I think, a handy vernacular. That's a, and so so you, to engage it, it goes more of a this is a conflict situation versus a tempering you know a mutual kind of hammering in tongues.
1: So there, there is an element of that. Yeah. We've noticed like, that in in other gurus, right, Matt. That there's a. a, a kind of American cultural sensitivity to bigging up everyone and being positive. People
0: wrote about positive cultures and negative cultures and cultures mm. like Australia is a negative culture and American culture is oh, yeah, positive <laughs> culture. <laughs> <laughs> Ireland as well. Um, on, on Chris's point it's just, I guess in conventional academia, you, you know, we'll write a paper and I, I've had this happen to me and I've done it to, to other colleagues where I'll put something out there and they write a public commentary all right on my position that i've outlined my interpretation my results my methodology you name it and they will not hold back right they'll and we are friendly at conferences we'll have a drink together it's fantastic but they don't hold back at all and i welcome that and then i don't hold back again in the public sphere and like i think that's just a good approach for epistemics you know if you're talking about serious topics then it, you need it, to, it all sounds rather kinky, you know. It's just like <laughs> Thank you,
2: sir. May I have another?
0: We're not this is the funny thing, actually. Obviously it's not it's not kinky. Uh, it sounds kinky when we talk about flagellating each other, but um, <laughs> and we're not even very good people, right? I, I I see these critiques of me on my stuff and I'm like, Oh, that's a bitch, you know, he's wrong about this. you know, how could he that's just stupid or whatever. And then I yeah. calm down and then I write my best possible <laughs> rejoinder yes. to, Thank to you. it. And, and, and th- you're proving th- my point. You're proving you're proving my point precisely,
2: which is I think you're all su- you're both suffering from just a just a smidge of Stockholm syndrome for the Academy. Right. And so and so so just so like just bear with me for this thought experiment. I never thought in my life I'd be doing this, but I'm potentially gonna defend hypothetical for game B.
0: Okay. Go for it. So, go for it.
2: So we we right into trying to integrate this anti-vax skepticism, right? So so taken at the level of fingers in your ears, tinfoil hat, anti-vax congruent with the last thirty years and Jenny McCarthy and Bobby Kennedy and the whole right, the whole shtick, right? You're like, oh, there's there's a long standing pattern here. Might back all that out and just get to the place where you come to the kind of fundamentally civil cognitive liberties and a quasi-libertarian Citizenship obligation responsibility and decision making such that it could include people being like I'm not sure if that fucker wiggled out of the Wuhan lab or not I'd like to know more right I'm not sure a six month rush Russian you know rush um, testing and, and and approval process is enough for monkeying with these things I need to learn more right there's there's you know and we don't necessarily want like I didn't take the I, I had the first two vaccines got completely sick it, the entire fucking Public health model completely broke the moment people were three months in to that first first initial booster up The world opens up. Everybody's free to be you and me. Bullshit, right? And 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 it was lagging three to six weeks behind the published stats. What what was actually happening on the ground epidemiologically, right? And it was a complete gave to all the things and the, and the, m the, you know the mainstream media, including mainstream science. I mean, the Lancet's been compromised. New England Journal of Medicine has been compromised. Everything is fucked these days. Right. So, so for you guys to be solely in the tank for academia, as you know, for blue church academia, without acknowledging your own very equally serious critiques about the about the validity. I mean, the the peer review process and how ridiculously politicized that is. The number of pay-to-play journals, the amount of corporate money making into and influencing research methodology, p-hacking outcomes, publications. You name it. It's it's a fucking dirty business. Also, right. And so so. You know, as long as we're at that stage, then you could say, oh, the re-, because I think you set up almost this moral conundrum. You're like, like you know, vaccines are generally safe and effective, overwhelming scientific consensus. These guys are outside beyond that pale. Therefore, it must be immoral. But what's actually happening is that Brett and Eric, I know for sure, and probably I'm presuming Heather too, would say, we actually take question with your presumed baseline. What you're saying is, ca- is canon or gospel or verifiable, peer-reviewed, objective truth. You know, we're saying is actually riddled with subjective errors, blind spots, politics, um, captured interests, and all sorts of perversions of the purity of that platonic ideal. Mm. So, you know, back at you, fellas. So, um, and is there and is there a game B, for instance, that could come up with inno- interesting, innovative governance that would allow for all these these perspectives? I, you know. Like, Said, I had the first two vaccines. I did not get the fucking boosters because by that point it was like three variations passed, and all the studies were going like sub 30% on efficacy. And, and, and I had absolutely had some expression of long-ish COVID somewhere in the middle of, of the thing. So, like, and, and I wouldn't vaccinate my kid under six, maybe 12, maybe even 18. Like, I would postpone that shit and let them write things out naturally until we understood more. If we don't have the choice, the chance to make considered and responsible decisions as individuals, right, then we end up setting up, especially in this increasing surveillance society, increasing global cultures and economies, we run our risk of sort of the the panopticon. And so, how do you preserve, right, some version of, you know, I mean, I fucking hate the term, but sovereignty right? Like the ability to make my own free choices balanced against civic responsibility, social responsibility, you know, and, and and greater good arguments. And that has to be fucking navigated. And when you do like Taiwanese or democracy voting systems, you know, you can sort of navigate some of these things in ways that are tech enabled and, you know, f- proof of concept today. And what if we built you know, what if we started exploring and there's there's parallel democracy movement. It's throughout the US we had folks from DC come to one of our trainings and programs. They're running they're really standing up shadow fucking governments and different ways to start organizing post you know structural break or interruption. So that to me that that seems um that would be super cool, right? And 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 you can then reconcile where Brett and Heather were. They were saying we are not actually on the same epistemic layer. We've questioned that one and dismantled that one for our own decision making and perspectives you're still there and haven't presumably interrogated it or or you have and you chose to stay double down on it versus shift stance so
1: that's a that's a good articulation of the you know the counter argument jimmy and there's there's tons of like threads to pull on there to respond so i'll i'll pull a couple and then let matt pick up whatever i miss but like so first thing would be when it I think when it comes to having doubts and having questions about a new vaccine or like being critical about the authorities ability to get things right in like a, you know, a fast moving pandemic that people haven't experienced, it's perfectly reasonable to have questions and to have doubts. And you should factor in always when dealing with institutions, academia included that there will be errors, there will be misstatements, there will be imperfections and there will be disagreements. That's the norm. It's not an unusual situation. But all of those things that you talked about with p-hacking, publication bias, the issues with the peer review system, the people who identified those issues, by and large, are academics. The people who are working to create alternative systems and, and to address them are academics. Most of the people that commentate on it, like Eric or Brett, they misuse those critiques and they don't even they don't even discuss or understand things like preprints and pre-registrations and how they're used. Whereas I like take Matt, take me we're published on advocating for people to pre-register studies because to reduce researcher degrees of freedom. And when it comes to looking at research literature critically, like we suggested at the start, that's the default stance. So it isn't a a simple non-critical acceptance of blue church doctrine. It's rather you have the ability to critically assess a literature. And when you compare it to the way that people like Brett and Heller Examine studies. They show no ability to do that. They don't even read abstracts correctly of studies they completely miss the boat on Assessing the strength of literature the validity of studies and this is along the lines of not even like detailed methodological criticisms which they often get wrong but simple things like they are unable to note that a study claiming a hundred percent effectiveness for all two thousand with perfect follow-up and with default Excel graphs, but mislabeled is a a study with huge questions, right? The uh, many people are looking critically at that literature from inside academia. So whenever things become like stronger content, was that that Argentinian study? Yes, but there's there's an endless litany of examples with Brett. And as we discussed, you know, he doesn't have a track record of demonstrating that he is good at assessing research literature, quite the opposite. Eric also along those lines, he's claimed to have a theory of everything that will revolutionize physics, which has been shown to have like fundamental errors from the, the few people who have looked critically at it and Eric for a tantrum at their response. So their ability to parse the scientific literature, I wouldn't rate highly. And it is always the case in the situation. But why
2: are we talking about this? Well, but so it seems seems like you guys have built your entire worldview around Eric. No, no,
1: it's just an illustration because that's the actual the point is there will always be people claiming that. And you mentioned Brett and, and Eric as examples of people that would have a different epistemological approach and judgment and they would. But our argument is that's not just a subjective value judgment where people arrive at different conclusions and the evidence is completely ambivalent. It's that Eric and Brett are misreading the evidence on ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. And it isn't complex, low quality studies that are positive in in vitro studies and then Small low quality studies that find positive results. Sure. Are you
2: dude? This is like this is like picking a jury. This is like the two lawyers picking a jury, right? You have a whole bunch of people come in and then you guys each take turns chucking ones you don't like out until you're left with, you know, tw- twelve angry Men. no and so, no this, and so like the, you have to do that with studies because because they're gonna because you know, i mean just for some kind of common ground right you get to take the piss out of the ones you think are flawed and then they're like okay okay you're applying that standard these fit that standard don't fucking like it but okay now here is here's is, here are the ones that we discount and don't consider in our own fact pattern because if you don't actually just check what's in your what's on your kitty what's in your kitty i don't even know what you're playing with like, until but in, you get that sorted, then you're really talking about
1: so each other. So there's you know? there's always, you can have... Like,
2: ideally, you find some studies you both agree on.
1: Right, you know? but you can have things, like, you can have conflicting meta-analyses that reach different conclusions because of the studies that people put in and out. But the body of evidence with ivermectin is is not, in in, in any sense of the word, like, 100% effective prophylactic. And at best, sure. it would have been, as you indicated sure. at the start, a possible treatment that we should investigate prior to having extremely effective vaccines. And you have to factor in alongside these advocacy for hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin mm. that there's a very strong signal about the dangers of vaccines. And what you said, Jamie, about not taking boosters and that kind of thing, that that to me shows like that. I
2: wonder if they'd made a fucking good one yet.
1: But that's so that would be the point is that is to me that shows that you're misreading the, what the studies are showing. No,
2: I'm not misreading the fucking efficacy of the post-Omicron no, no, hypermutation no. In efficacy, terms of the, the old ones that we're still getting stuck
1: with. In terms of no, the, terms of the cost, the dangers posed by not being vaccinated versus the dangers posed of being vaccinated. They're, mm. they're wildly... Dude, I would say, I would say, look,
2: I mean, that question, look, I mean, A, I don't even know why we're talking about this. This was neither the subject of the recording you analyzed nor anything I have anything to do with. So, so you know, if if what you're secretly saying is why don't you yell at each other on camera more you know all i got for you is you know, right <laughs> we're, we're having these conversations and you can say ah there's footprints it's, and whispers but no proof like what the fuck it's, it's, these are our lives not, but it's, but you know it's, but let's let's move on to something more interesting which is yeah, the bigger yeah. picture psychology of punditry in the digital age and what are you guys seeing and what are you vigilant about and you know and 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 like and and are there any patterns right or deeper structures that are impacting a bunch of people congruently or concurrently
0: we got you guys got (laughs) bogged down with those examples right but remember jamie you you outlined a a robust defense of a non-blue church counterculture alternative space and chris and you cited those those things as an example and and chris responded to those examples but i think what we would say is that the, the the scientific process is correcting inside the church right there is it starts off with a great deal of ambiguity like i remember quite well before we had a vaccine before there were lots of good studies on um, ivermectin, it, w- it was treated very seriously in the blue church. They didn't just dismiss it out of hand, it was treated very okay. seriously amongst the alternatives and then as more and more evidence came in, the people that were good at assessing evidence of uh, regarding RCTs specifically, and and there are people who are better at this than others. I got me and Chris have got a general background in statistics and so on, so we have some degree of skill. There are people who are better than us. People are in the, in the field. Uh, another example is the lab leak scenario versus the uh, natural origins of COVID. That was well, Where another... did you, you guys come down on it? My understanding is that the evidence currently is, is that it's very unlikely that it was zoono- uh, that it was sorry a lab leak, rather that it's zoonosis. Yeah. Yeah, that seemed like that sort of last three months,
2: but there was a sea change for the sort of prior 12, right, where increasing potential evidence was going to be like, and, and more important, you know, serious agencies and other people being like, okay, it's back on the table in some capacity. We are, we are ex- sifting evidence ex- th- and a lot of compromised data because they wouldn't fucking let us in to, me- to see anything. The, a, there were, there was. A crime scene.
0: Right? Yeah, that's right. There, There was the difficulties by the inherent nature of the ccp um but i mean one of the interesting things there jamie is that the public perception and this is a, probably a fault of science journalism is that there was this kind of new evidence coming in which dramatically was changing the the likelihood of a different thing points of view. um that in the discourse if you actually just ignored what was being written in the Guardian or The Times or some, some newspaper and just looked at the research literature, it, there were no sort of big back and forth revolutions in the evidence base. It, it was kind of a gradual increase in certainty, basically. Yeah, but no, but, do, but come on, come on. What
2: about that Lancet one that got fully fucking discredited? And it, and, and it was basically all also conjugation. It was this kind of long wind up and throat clearing to get to the point where we do not see it would be reasonably possible that... The, the the leak was a lab leak, and you're like, wait, you guys established nothing. There's no hard evidence here. This gets fronted in a prestige journal, and then turns out to have been politic.
1: That, like, I think that's a misreading. You know, I, so here's, deal, here's my point. That's a misreading but, but look, of that look, 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 evidence. Here's, so. here's both
2: end. But but yes ish no right no, no, not like, not straight like like here's the thing because we, it science is coming down with the collapse of the entire edifice of Western civilization all truth claims all power all power formats I mean this is this seems like sort of Foucault on a bender. Right and 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 like and science and scientism and the compromises, the hijacks, the replication crises, the fucking the corporatization, the the, the IP, the feudalism and serfhood of, of, of large universities. Like the whole thing is is teetering just like the church, just like Wall Street, right? Just like all of these things. Just like you know, it's, it's and, and for you guys to simply go back to propping it up. Uncritically would be would be akin to sort of clicking your heels and and sort of wishing that you know that the, the dam hasn't burst on the rest of this cultural collapse. Like science is coming down too, guys. And 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 if COVID showed anything, right? And 2008 and all these things. There's no, there's a bunch of fucking naked emperors. The people have been absolutely handed a bill of goods as far as the American dream, the the world, you know, and, and IMF and all the goody things of neoliberalism. Right and science has been a fucking patsy and an accomplice to some unforgivable shit
1: along the way. Also, so the the point I would make here, like, is that there definitely are emperors who have been unmasked in the COVID pandemic but i think we identify them quite differently jimmy the way that you present us as like defenders of the status quo and the potential patsies for the blue church ecosystem like i have to draw <laughs> I, I have to draw uh, no i know you guys think you're rebels no no but you're just not that yeah but allow me to draw a distinction right you give talks at goldman sachs and google and advertise your influence in those kind of powerful elite performance athletes, so on. Matt is currently testifying against or helping that court case against the uh, jigger, the gambling, the industry. gambling industry. Right. Yeah. And so the person there that is more in bed with industry and corporate management consultants and whatnot. It's not us. We are perfectly free to critique those people. We are free to critique scientists, and we do. And we look critically at our own literature, at our friend's studies, but that is not the case in the ecosystems that you play in, where people pull the punches, and you are more invested in the capitalist kind of ecosystem than we would be.
2: Oh, that, that, that you think I am, that you think I am. Well, you've said right? so. Right? I mean, would you like to... hear? Would, would, would you like to hear what I told the, the, the thousand senior partners at Goldman, right? I, I, I tore up my speech. They had asked me to speak about peak performance and flow. And I'm like, fuck that guys. I'm not coming in here to, to, to say that to you. And I can, com- and I completely went rogue and I pulled up a stool with no eyes. I completely just winged it. and had a little notebook and I was like, Hey, one of your founding partners had said, be uh short term patient and long-term greedy. Right. And that's been one of the mantras. And I was like, Hey guys, here's the deal. Like, how are you going to be, uh, Short-term patient when there's when there's no long-term, like you guys have a choice. You can either be the vampire squid of late-stage capitalism, where you can step the fuck up and double down on your roots to actually move capital to seed innovation and entrepreneurship and and inc- and improve general equitable distribution. There was a quant PhD, Princeton quant who was on the Obama White House at the time who came who was also a partner who came up to me afterwards and like, fuck yes, this is the stuff we're doing, right? And 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 then a whole bunch of Goldman vampire squids. And I did not get invited back, but but the person who had invited me was like, high five! I, I I'm glad you stirred some shit up. That they'll you know like like that's gonna that's gonna make some waves. So I put put my head on the fucking chopping block, and and consistently do. I mean, talking to SEAL Team Six, a room full of fucking those guys, and I had a whole you know, and this was on neuroscience of peak performance, flow states, all of these kind of things, and what's the cutting edge of performance training, and also realizing you're training the most lethal tier one special operators on the planet, and I forced. 20 minutes of my hour was into the ethics of weaponizing consciousness. And everything from AI to the history to MK Ultra to, you know, just like, guys, you're playing with real things here and and where this goes and why and how has to stay on side of you know impeccable ethical guidelines. So I I, I do. Um the fact that I keep into places, I'm getting back to a lot of those places, but I get invited to another interesting one, right? And I and I don't know. The why or the how of that um but i am committed to not um go along that along i don't want to be a fucking gadfly cassandra that's not cool um but i do absolutely want to have um the most heartfelt and sincere conversations um i like with the people doing important things in the world because they're
1: going to do it I, you know Accept the clarification jenny and i apologize if it was like slightly too you know like personal in that regards i mean it, no, no. it's it's partly uh, i saw
2: I, I want you guys to better get where i'm coming from is the is the, is the real sure picture. like we're, i think we're absolutely on the fucking same team and i
1: i seen there was like a youtube video where there were some in the kind of uh, psychedelic space who had the same critique of rebelism and you specifically uh um oh.
2: I, I, you oh yeah 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 those guys those guys are bad faith little shit <laughs> so they've got they've got again they've, they've got they've got too much too much student loan debt from their fucking recent phds and a fucking chip on their shoulder a mile wide so yeah they're,
1: they're not I, helpful i'm not i'm not Chris, here are these people I've, I've, i i don't uh, i it's a what do, do i know them <laughs> no you you don't know them there there was like the the psychedelic community right it, broadly speaking had some uh-huh. there was a video put kind of critical of jimmy and rebel wisdom as like being but but i mean ludicrous like 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 so hysterically reactive that to be like hey i'm on your
2: team i don't think those guys are good either i've just written a book pillorying them mckinsey the whole fucking law facebook all of those folks and um let's actually talk about now can we get can we refine right between our points of view some some fairly obvious mutuality and they were just having none of it and then and, and, and it's the same with um those conspiratoriality guys they they've become it's, it's 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 almost sort of like queer eye for the Okay. Well, so they're just catty, the, you
1: know. It, so I, I think that mm, where I would see an area of agreement is that we all appear to agree that you know it's important to have robust criticism in whatever field, and this includes like academia and whatnot. Yeah. But I, I guess <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I, I just find that there's like there isn't consistent application of critical. Approaches to things because, like you know, the supplement industry, nootropics, is hugely profit-focused, uh, right? It's a it's a multi-billion industry, and it, and the studies there are. If you have an issue with the quality of studies when it comes to vaccine approval or that kind of thing, the quality of studies when it comes to supplement evidence of efficacy is sh- incredibly low. But that that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm doesn't get focused on so much as what you are talking about, Blue Church and stuff. It feels very much like denigrate whatever is seen as the traditional authority and then usurp by that system having problems. It by default makes the alternative better, but it's not the case, right? The, you know, Joe Rogan illustrates.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think the, the biggest question um, is... Um, I think the, the spot you're going you're gonna to occupy in the broader conversation, right? So saying, hey, there needs to be some rigor, there needs to be some consistency, we need to sort of understand these. Because I mean, this is relatively recent space, folks are post-institutional, they're even post sort of um, legacy media. You know, so people are, you know, you know. I think David Fuller was echoing some of your guys' points, right? He said, "Hey, there's very few checks and balances in this space. There's a lot of perverse market incentives, right? And and there's a ton of echo chambers, you know, and algorithmic fucking warping, and a thousand other things that are all taking place to the quote-unquote conversation, which everyone is being had. And and you guys, you guys are, I think, you know, offering good yardsticks. and and i don't honest to god know what to do with it like it, there's clearly this boom in podcast this boom in all these kind of longer form bigger thinky often rambly kind of explorations there seems to be this voracious appetite for it i don't know whether it's because cable media and and you know conventional tv became so awfully bad yeah that they're just but so, so it's just creating this market cultural marketplace of ideas that has all sorts of you know free mar- capital capitalist market um perturbations
0: well, actually, Jamie, I'm like, it's funny, it's ironic, almost in the way that I think that the criticisms like the ones you voiced before at institutional stuff are over-egged and, and a bit over the top. I, I also think it's worth reminding ourselves that an awful lot of the alternative media is freaking great, right? I, I don't know about you guys, but I listen to heaps of podcasts. Like I, I listen to history podcasts and space podcasts about neutron stars and stuff like that i'm absolutely <laughs> loving the Re- revolutions podcast at the moment i keep spruking it the very famous one by the guy who did the history <laughs> of rome learning all about the the revolution that happened in haiti that's the kind like it is it's scholarly it is informative yeah, it's did. entertaining it's just extremely high hyped- and i guess you know that's why just at a very personal level i get saddened when Whatever you know, I, I suppose I feel the same way about Big Brother or something reality TV that, that people are watching so much trash on mainstream media. And I just feel sad, you know what I mean, that people are spending their time watching Joe Rogan or listening to Joe Rogan talk shit with Kanye West or something. If we can steer people towards the good stuff and away from stuff that's just wasting their time and filling their heads with Surely we agree that's a good thing. Yes, I, th- I think we should convert the entire great books canon
2: into TikTok dance videos, and then we'll have, <laughs> right? then, we'll have some, then we'll have then we'll have a discourse, you know. Yeah. Then we'll have it. So so yeah, guys. I mean I mean, um, my sense is is for whatever reason, time, space, and technology. You know, like we, what we have as far as a, a, a non traditional intellectual media scape, right? And it's all pretty novel. Right. I don't think anybody's really, you know, this is like, like you guys said, all the checks and balances of your peer review system and, the, and, and academia as a, as a feudal, as a medieval guild, basically. Right. You guys are you know, still identify as members of that guild and it has its arcana and its secrets and its prohibitions and, you know, and, and norms. And then you've got a bunch of fucking Ronin galloping around like fucking Monty Python out there with no lineage, no discipline, no checks and balances, no peer um, buffering or dampening. Mm. Right. Yeah, and I, the, I think and plus market incentives. So like, yes, those things that tends to, that'll go bad every time.
0: I, I like that tongue and cheek characterization of the guild and the, <laughs> the townsfolk and the, the only <laughs> Ronan rampaging around outside the walls. The only <laughs> thing is
1: that I, I do think, Jimmy, that like a lot of the people in the alternative ecosphere, they should pay more attention to like things like the open science movement, because those people were called data terrorists. For being the people who critically evaluated the influential studies. And to me, that's a really good thing. It's in and it's an embodiment of the spirit that you're talking about, like a willingness to challenge the authorities and the institutions that exist, even like theories with loads of well established, you know, like highly influential studies at journals. People look critically at the standard of the evidence and, and call bullshit. But the difference is they win out in the end because the replication crisis happened and journals are critiqued and you're right about you know things like Elsevier's influence and all that kind of thing is very distorting in in science and it can you the pharmaceutical industry deserves to be critiqued it deserves like robust criticism of the what i was talking about flexibility with outcomes in the supplementary industry it's exactly the playbook of pharmacy and and gambling and so on as well so it isn't that like academia is good and anything out of outside of academia is bad there's there's it can be a shit show. I just, think to,
2: just assign it a, re- a reasonable golfing handicap right so you that's it it's just as we're ca- right as we're
1: calibrating
2: our compasses like how much how much declination is there in our needle exactly factor it
1: in so i think we just like being critical is the i think that's the uh, point that we do agree on that there's like this value to being critical and whatever our particular role in the eco sphere of like information is that's possibly a slight difference is like matt and i although we we completely acknowledge that we are in the same realm as you with podcasts and commenting and all this kind of things but we are we slightly, <laughs> we slightly object to narrative surfing, and we're conscientious objectors in a way that, like, yeah. but hold,
2: but hold tight, but hold tight, because you said you said theme surfing or idea surfing, yeah. Right? Like, so is that is that people being too broad? Because here you are, a psychologist and an anthropologist, and I've heard now. From either of you about about your subject matter and it's an, and the interpretation of this conversation. You guys have been hmm. punditing your asses off, also.
0: Yeah, yeah, kind, yeah, kind of. But my punditry about something like COVID involves injecting zero novelty or special insight into the evidence base or the interpretation of it. Really, real. All, all I, I I can refer to, and, and we 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 do refer to bona fide experts in those fields. I mean, yes, we, we we can make fun of someone like Brett Weinstein when they dramatically misinterpret or fail to detect that a study is laughably bad because to some degree, our, our general um, methodological background allows us to see that. But uh, yeah, I, I don't think you'll find any of the stuff that we've said is contributing anything novel or unique in terms of these specialist areas. Yeah. I mean, look, my, my, my
2: sense is, is that um... It, I I think we were trying to pass this and I and I and I mean I'm sorry to have to do this, but I'm gonna <laughs> against my better judgment, which is I'm gonna mention him, capital T. So I think you cannot back out of the equation the reality distortion field and utter psychosis of Trump as president and his and his management of that. And due to the US's outside role in CDC, WHO, all the other ripple effect policy making, that we ended up in a schizophrenic double bind during a during a global public health emergency. And then the amount of disinformation and Chaos that was happening behind the scenes in the establishment basically broke the blue church. Right, it started just shattered on its ruins. Like wear moss? No, don't wear moss. You don't need moss, but we don't have enough moss. This is good to go. No, it's not. Back and forth. Like the the six feet was bullshit and made up. I mean, there was a University of Virginia. There was a Virginia Tech hydro engineer that that broke that down and was like, where was the original citation for that? And went all the way back to like 1936 in a completely unreferenced fucking textbook. Right, that had never been validated at all. Like. Endless amounts of that stuff after the schizoid double bind left all sorts of people being like, oh, authority has no idea what's actually going on. And their efforts are so transparently self-correcting or, or self-implicating that now, right, we're going to double down on alternate histories, right? What, what If the consensus will be was creaking and groaning and a lot of people were spooked, right? I mean, everybody's nervous system was in hypervigilance right so the whole like you know like like high dopamine apophenic you know pattern re- patternicity and and, and hyper rec- recognition and and i think it pulled a lot of folks but you like like the the psychic i think impact of that specific human individual behaving in the way he did that was so wildly outside all norms and expectations broke people's fucking brains and massively hampered coordinated global technocratic response
0: Yeah, I think there's something to that. And one way in which you can see that is the contrast between the discourse in in Australia compared to the United States. And a place like Australia, like we have our fringe unis and libertarians or conspiracy theorists just like everywhere else. But what we do have is two relatively normal centre parties, both of whom basically, you know, in 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 public in politician terms follow the science you know and take or rather take advice from their chief medical officers and so on and don't actually make it a political football i think you're absolutely right like pe- people kind of forget but it kind of started with trump like he was the, he kind of kicked this thing off it became a a partisan culture war football you could see yeah. the res- you could see the response from and remember the, the the public health authorities whose job it is is to advise the public in like a little you know 30 second sound grab it's quite identical to the scientific consensus right it has to be simplified and made into a concrete kind of actionable actions so was a this a formative of,
2: was, was this a formative event for you guys the whole anti-vax thing because i'm just i'm just curious we've we ended up talking about it for a meaningful chunk of time and i don't have a dog in
0: this fight no no um it's not like actually you, you you brought it up again. Your last comment was to bring us back to Donald Trump and and how it led to the that, 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 that cracking was cracking under under COVID. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, but, but, yeah. That, but that was a that was a deepening of
2: why scientific materialism, you know, sort of p- the peer-reviewed status quo mainstream science right Mm. that is part of the reason where they lost a ship of street cred with a ton of own goals that were needless and they could have been public messaging gaps they could have been pointless fucking reversals they could have been trying to transparently massage and manage public opinion which of course they should be doing they should be running good public health informed propaganda all the time right if you're trying to actually move needle public behavior so then somebody suddenly paranoid and freaked and is like that's propaganda that's coercive edward bernays you know and you're like okay you're off to the races aren't you
0: uh, well, the anti-question, no, it wasn't a formative event for us, really, um, because in retrospect, it seemed absolutely uh, inevitable that we would have all these conspiracy theories and a new round of, of of anti-vax stuff going on. I actually thought the public health messaging was pretty good. I thought the vaccines, they were amazing. Nobody was expecting them to be developed so quickly. So that was just a, a massive win. Um, they got into production very quickly. And the public health advice has been generally good. Was it always perfect? Of course not. It was a fast evolving situation with a brand new virus. I remember right at the very beginning, people were like spraying like boxes that came to the house because we we're worried on surfaces, right? Because we didn't know, right? At the beginning, there was very little information, and there were, but you still have to advise people something. So, you know, that's the nature of public health advisories. They're always, they're always happening on, on the run. And if we look back at um, how we've fared, and a place like Australia has fared really well, because we have actually just done what the public health people advise us of. If you take, compare that to a place like the United States, where people have done so to a lesser degree, a lot of people still aren't vaccinated, a lot of people just sort of ignored the distancing rules and things like that. They haven't done so well. So. And, yeah, I mean, we we should we should get it off COVID because it's not a special topic for. There's us. There's one I, last. There's a There's just yeah. one thing I want to
1: inject, Jimmy. That you know, like when when it comes to masking in particular, and I think it it's a it speaks to a broader point. So I'm not gonna argue about the, the individual studies or that kind of thing. All I want to say is, like, at the beginning of the pandemic, when there was the debates around masks and various conflicting statements and countries were adopting different positions. I live in Japan. People wore masks as a uh, like precaution in general when they have the cold. So it's completely normal. People still wear masks here now. But when I looked at the literature, the studies, right, and as Matt says, it's not our area of expertise, I saw a generally not very well developed literature, especially when you look at like cloth masks in public settings, mixed studies, you know, some overall positive and not. But like a fairly good case that could be made for like a a common sense if it's a infectious disease, which is respiratory, that wearing a mask will be conducive to that. But when I saw that literature, my immediate reaction was, okay, people can take different positions on this. Exactly what you were talking about, you know, uh, different groups, different institutions, different researchers will take different assessments of that evidence and r- some will recommend. I would say
2: a mask would be generally more cut and dried than, than, than uh, you know, like a mask stats and performance under, under control conditions, I think, should be more cut and dried and less subject to disqualifying than something much more compli- complex Complex, right. like, but you know, advanced mRNA, you know, efficacy over time.
1: Yeah, I agree with you that there, there's other complexities there. But just, you know, it's actually hard because, you know, most studies with masks, to the pandemic were conducted in hospitals in controlled conditions. And they were looking at how things spread from doctors and patients. They weren't looking at people wearing cloth masks out in community settings or in, in the context of a pandemic because we didn't have a global pandemic before. So the quality of evidence wasn't very good. And all I'm saying is, you know, there were different perspectives. So when I saw different institutions, different countries take different stances and then more studies come out and people evaluate and change, that completely fit with my model of what would happen in this situation. And I can also see some institutions, it might just be some people in the institution who had a very strong opinion, which wasn't well supported by the evidence or they wanted to preserve masks, you know, as as famously happened uh, to try and reduce the run on N95 masks, like all of those factors playing. But none of that is surprising from my worldview because that's low quality evidence that is a bit mixed public health authorities take different decisions and then over time there comes to be broader consensus on issues but for people in the alternative ecosphere and i would say people who are less familiar with assessing scientific literature they seem to take this as like whiplash Every week when there was a new article in the New York Times or a new article critical or Fauci said something that was taken as the this huge sea change of opinion. And that's how I experienced the lab leak as well, is that every time an article comes out in Pro Publica or Vanity Fair or there's a Washington Post article, there's a big reaction amongst the online sphere and the twitter sphere oh yeah
2: but that that, that's that's the social media algorithm that's that's the that's the hot taken obstruction.
1: yeah and you can't you can't change it but that's i think that's the part that you know you were asking where we fit in or where we see ourselves contributing and in part we try to say like consume all that stuff critically and also basics of uh, like, it's helpful to know the scientific method and that kind of thing. But like, it is also the case that you cannot expect the majority of people to have spent time researching, study design and that kind of thing. Like people don't have the time to do that. So the institutional mistrust that you talk about is very real. But to me, that is not just caused by the institution's feeling and sending mixed messages, but also these actors who intentionally sow mistrust of institutions and in a self-serving way that sets themselves up as alternative authorities. And those ecosystems, which include anti-vax ecosystems, which include gurus and whatnot, they need to be looked at just as critically as the institutions and that's what i that's what i see as lacking there's strong critiques of institutions yeah
2: so basically a a a recursive critique yeah i mean it's totalizing
1: yeah so you know if we can if we are all signing off on everybody should be being more critical i'm i'm done with it i just i wish i seen it applied more Mm -hmm. consistently um and I I realise that we've kind of badgered you Jimmy. you've been a very good sport, but it feels fair to give you the wrapping up space if you if you'd like or if you want to respond to any points, yeah. feel free.
2: Yeah, no fucking fun. I mean, I mean, uh, a, a good a good way to to spend some time. Um, so thank you for all of it. Um, no, it's 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 great to get to hear and you know kind of understand the things you care about. Basically, sort of why did you build this thing in this way um, to address what, what, what stuff you're seeing. Um, so I think that's cool. Um, I think there is for sure. There's there's this, just right next door to this goat path we've been on. You know, is kind of a a, a flowing river, which is way more fun. And and that would just be if you guys just loosened your ties just a bit, you know, maybe, maybe had a pint, you know, you know, and then allow for like you can stop the clock at any point. And as long as everybody knows all the coordinates and time, space, dimensionality, and perspective, then you can keep playing. Right? If somebody's lost the plot, then you gotta go back to your last known waypoint and recalibrate your instruments, right? And and, and it just becomes, again, much more sort of intersubjective jazz, because I, th- I would say, if anything, if, but fundamentally, ironically, it, the benefit of the doubt, it is that pesky rule omega that actually is the key to unlocking it. Because if, we, if, because if we're engaging in the hermeneutics of suspicion, we're always hitting the brakes, and you're hitting the brakes right over the, you know, the rocky section or the, or, the, or the icy patch, rather than f- carrying speed over it until the next place that's, that's good to turn. So if we do that together, we can still hold each other accountable, bust each other's balls, but it's done in a much more quick in and out dialectic to get to, get you know, to get to jazz. And yes absolutely while it we we descended to the point of caricature um with everything from Taoism to harry potter and you know and and every other um, metaphor possible it, it is fundamentally right the way that cannot the, the way that can be named is not the is not the way so it is all via negativa um but i think i think it's which is which is in some respects your guys jam so so well done on, <laughs> on, on on shining a backwards light on the thing that you insist does not
0: exist <laughs> Well, that was good. It was both uh, complimentary to us and also, uh, I guess, uh, a robust defense of of your own position. And I think it's only fair that you should have the final word, Jamie. So just thanks for coming on. And uh, I think that's an excellent note to end it on.
2: Fantastic, guys. I I, I look forward to checking this out when it drops. Fantastic. Uh, Cheers. Cheers,
1: Jamie. So there, Matt, the interview is
0: done. I wonder Actually, what happened. I wonder what happened. <laughs>
1: what well, yeah, we're so we are recording this before the interview, so we're not sure what happened. Did Jimmy storm off in a like rage over some
0: insult that Matt proffered, or did we convert to game B and did we see the light? Did we come to some higher synthesis?
1: Well, yeah, were we caught into sense making? These are all possibilities that. You, you, the listener, will know, but we don't. So, mm. hopefully, it went well and everybody ends up slightly more enlightened from the encounter. Or, at least, you know, we just have a chat. That yeah. probably would happen.
0: Well, I remember from watching that video that Jamie Will interpersonally seemed like a, a perfectly nice chat. So. And we
1: are both perfectly nice. So.
0: so, why wouldn't we have a nice chat together? Right.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm, uh, yeah, I, I'm... What's garrulous, garrulous, garrulous.
0: You're garrulous. Um, yeah, yeah. You catch you in the right mood. You could be garrulous, I suppose.
1: Yeah, isn't that like good, bad? That's like grunkly, but you're also friendly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're being boisterous. You're wrapping your arm around someone's shoulder and you're saying, Let's You're like go, a dwarf. You're like a dwarf. You're like a, a drunk dwarf. Yeah, who's.
1: Can't, i not gonna give up saying that word um so yeah the, you know my, there was when we were initially starting this episode i did want the i was thinking to inform people or have a discussion about guilt by association that whole concept but i'm i've decided you know not this time we'll leave that for another time we've caused enough Confusion and and we've given enough information about the nutritional content of nuts um, or what Elon Musk has been saying on Twitter at the time of recording. So I don't want to don't want to keep people longer. We'll save that for next time. Yeah. Instead, we should hear back from what other people have said about us in our review of reviews.
0: Yes, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's like getting student teaching feedback. The roller coaster. For
1: particularly insightful students. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. Although again, your students have not been doing your duty because I didn't have a wide array to choose from. So I demand that people leave us more reviews and give us funny content <laughs> from their own labor. Or otherwise we'll have to think of a new segment. And imagine that. I imagine mm. that, Matt.
0: Yeah. Come on, everyone. This is a cooperative enterprise. You know, we've been... It is. Give us another review if you've done it. Just change your review. I <laughs> probably wouldn't see it. But... um. Any family members of mine listen to this, even if you've already left a review, leave another one. Friends, <laughs> colleagues, people
1: who just heard Beyond Synth and <laughs> joined the podcast. Now's your time. Now's your time. So we usually try to aim for a negative, a positive, or something interesting. I've got one that I really, it's from a good username, Elegant Octopus. Very hmm. good.
0: Elegant I, octopus, I like
1: yeah. an octopus and an elegant one sounds fantastic. And they've given it a five-star love it review, so that's all right. But it's a very short request, Matt. And now, bear in mind, they give a good review, so you have to do this well. It says, can you get Matt to say "Whoa!" like Crash Bandicoot? Please and thank you.
0: What? I, I don't even know who Crash Bandicoot, Bandicoot.
1: Crash bandicoot. Crash <laughs> Bandicoot, man, He's your national symbol. And you do bear a kind of passing resemblance to him. If you,
0: <laughs> okay, look, I just I just Googled this. I've done it, Jamie. Uh, I've got
1: just imagine uh, what he sounds like. I've got okay? I've
0: got a Crash Bandicoot. Whoa, is the, the title of the thing. It's eight seconds, so let me listen to this. You won't okay, be able to hear it.
1: Okay. This is cheating though. This is cheating, I feel like. <laughs> Matt, oh. okay. Matt's face there was uh, uh, like a, an entire journey on its own. But Matt, we've done the preparation. We've got we've got it ready. When you're ready.
0: No, I'm not going to do it. I can't. What? I, <laughs> I, just, I can't do it. I do a really bad job. At,
1: okay, at least you gotta show me what the bad job is. So here you go.
0: Ah, oh, all right. He goes like in this one. He goes whoa. Whoa! And then he goes, "Hang on, whoa, whoa, no. whoa, yes. whoa, whoa, whoa!" That's what he does. <laughs> that <was really> good. <laughs> I think, I think
1: you you went and looked at a compilation clip, and there you, you got all the different intonations no. of "Whoa, whoa!" <laughs> probably. Just- only famous for like saying woo
0: or something like that. Well, yeah, it was a sequence of him doing a bunch of woes. So there you go. Look at that. This is where I've come to. I'm forty. Wow. I'm in my late forties. I'm, I'm a professor. I have I have a I have a distinguished track record, and I'm here on air saying whoa, like that was good. Crash it was very Bandicoot. good. I like
1: that. <laughs> I like that. Thank you for that elegant octopus. That was a treat. No. Um, A negative review. Hello, is it, Matt? Because it's a five-star review and the title is Waste of Time. Is this one of the ironic satirical ones which we request? You be the judge. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you are an incel playing video games in your mom's basement, this podcast is for you. An annoying Irish bloke and a guy from a penal colony gets mad at people who are cleverer than them. Plenty of insecurities and resentment to be enjoyed, but be warned, they frequently, unfairly get angry at some guy called Brett Weinstein (laughs) just because he is smart, a keeper. (laughs) And this is from Swart in the Netherlands.
0: Okay. Well, in trying to... So the question before us is whether or not this is... um,
1: It's satirical. I'm firmly (laughs) in the satiric. Nobody thinks Brett Weinstein is a... <laughs> I so mean, people do. People do. They, Chris, they don't write reviews that well. The people that do that, they just say on <laughs> so, uh, no, that's not fair to Brett Weinstein's audience.
0: But um, yep. Yep. that was yeah, a friend. That was that was a friendly troll. That was a good troll because I was getting yeah. I was getting a little bit triggered. So that's he. he
1: well, there's t- some there's some hard truths in there. There is resentment. There. <laughs> there is speaking down to our betters. So, you know, those those bits are fine. But you know, come on. Yeah. She, Brett Weinstein, that's gilding the lily, Matt. That's gilding the lily. <laughs> <gilding.
0: laughs> yeah. That's right. He showed his hand there. But that's good. That's a good review. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's that's it for today. So what that remains for us to do is to thank our patrons. And I probably should have put this at the beginning. Maybe we'll mention the next episode, but just to clarify for Patreon folk or would-be patrons, we have three tiers. They're mostly like a kind of legacy thing that we set up at the beginning, um, but in, a, in any case, we we do have differences between them. There's a $2 tier, which means that you get bonus content that we put out, which is uh, like the Garometer episodes, or sometimes we do little bottled episodes, like we did a thing about Elon Musk buying Twitter, our thoughts on that so we don't have to keep endlessly repeating them, even though we did on this episode. <laughs> and um, uh, stuff like that, right? There's there's a big backlog of bonus content. Um, at the $5 tier, you get that, but you also get this series that we do called Decoding Academia, which is where we look at academic papers or academic topics and, and kind of do a mini episode critically evaluating them.
0: Right? Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, it's and like, those, it's like those, a university course <laughs> in a in a podcast format.
0: It's like a university journal club, but we're only two people allowed to speak, and everyone else has to just sit there and listen.
1: Yeah, so good job on selling that. <laughs> that, is, <laughs> that is very much what it's like. It's more academicy stuff, but if you're interested in the kind of things we cover, you probably would find it interesting. And then we have the ten dollar Galaxy brand Tier, which has all of these previous benefits. Plus, should you so desire, you can come and hang out with us on the live stream once a month and ask us questions or insult us or whatever you want. So that's what you get for that extra five or $8. So those are it. We, now, you do what you want. You don't have to contribute. The podcast will always be free, but if you want to, it's there. And that's what is available for those different tiers.
0: You forgot to mention the most important thing people get, which is that warm glow inside, knowing that they are throwing us a bone, just giving us a little something that we can point to when we've spent our weekends editing these monumental multi-hour long episodes. When I'm sitting there listening to Joe Rogan for six hours, I can say to myself, you know, this this isn't for nothing. I'm, I, I might eventually get a few bucks for this. You know, I could buy myself something nice. That must make people feel good to sort of know that.
1: That I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. So, um, so we'll thank a few of them now, Matt. And look, I know, I know this is a haphazard way of thanking people, but just say we've got a bit of a backlog. Right, I, I won't get into the numbers. I'll just say that you know, your shout out is coming. So, you know, if you don't hear it this time, don't worry, it's coming. It's coming, just um, just hold on for that. Um, so, first of all, Matt, conspiracy hypothesis for this week Cassidy Cade, Margaret Drennan, Philip Burkhart, David Walker, Peter Zavlaris, A.V. Brooke, Tom Marchbank, R- William Jensen, Matt Condon, Aaron, Ruth Marshall, Pam Eberstadt, Joshua, and Mushkat. Those hey. are all our conspiracy hypothesizers for this week.
0: Yes, the entry-level tier, but still <laughs> still loved and respected. The, the, the foot soldiers, the, the Koopa Troopers
1: of our <laughs> empire. Yeah. Oh, Goombas, you. Goombas, they Goombas. Koopa Troopers are slightly harder to kill.
0: We do appreciate it. And um, look, I, pro- I wouldn't donate more than $2 for this podcast either, so I get you, don't worry.
1: Don't nag the higher donators, but here we go, Matt.
0: I feel like there was a conference that none of us were
2: invited to that came to some very strong conclusions and they've all circulated this list
0: of correct answers. Now, I wasn't at this conference. This kind of shit makes me think, man. It's almost like someone is being paid. Like when when you hear these George Soros stories, mm-hmm. well, he's trying to destroy the country from within. We are not going to advance conspiracy theories. We will advance conspiracy hypotheses.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right Ma- Martin is- Wesselus. Yes. Again, just another so, shout out to uh, a conspiracy hypothesizer himself, nonetheless. But-
0: Don't those clips just make you want to grab them? those people and and shake them? Maybe just a light slap across the face and just say, wake up to yourselves.
1: You mean the people having the secret conferences that none of us are invited to? (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't invited to them, but, you know, they're there. Well, so we also have our $5 revolutionary thinkers, the people with us in the Decoding Academia Club. And here, Matt, we have Ben Makin... We have Oscar Henke, probably. The money is in a different denomination, so (laughs) can't entirely tell. But River Pebbles, sounds familiar, but nonetheless, there we are. Uh, Robert Chapman Smith. (laughs) I said that as if his name is like, you know, the Chapman, (laughs) Chapman Smith. But Chapman Smith, Um, Tim Graubauk. Walter Fodus, Etienne, uh, Oliver Daniel, Daniel Barclay, Lily, and Natalie Ardman. Hey.
0: Revolutionary thinkers. I went to school with the Daniel Barclay. Wonder if it's him. Maybe it's him. Yeah. Probably not. No. Great people. These are the lieutenants and the non commissioned officers. The mid ranked. They're the
1: Coopers. These are the Coopers.
0: What's a what's a Cooper?
1: Cooper Trooper from Mario. From Mario. Mario, Matt. Mario Brothers, the 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 hip new game that all the kids are playing.
0: <laughs> Do you Mario? I know I know of Mario Brothers, but what's a Cooper Trooper? Is it like a turtle? Turtle. turtle. Yeah. Oh, the the turtle. Ge- okay. Oh my god. Okay. All, all right. right. Yep. Yep. All right. So, so that so that means the next tier is going to be gorillas in your framework.
1: No. What gorillas are in Bowser's army? What are you thinking about, Matt? <laughs> you'll, you'll find out. You'll find out. Um, but those are the revolutionary thinkers.
0: Okay. I'm usually running, I don't know, 70 or 90 distinct paradigms simultaneously all the time.
1: And the idea is not to try to collapse them down to a single master paradigm. I'm someone who's a true polymath. I'm all over the place. But <laughs> my main claim to fame, if you'd like, in academia is that I founded the field of evolutionary consumption.
0: Now, that's just a guess. And and, and it could easily be wrong. But it, it also could not be wrong.
1: The fact that
2: it's even plausible is stunning. I got that.
0: They never that stop being time f- time. never stop being funny. Never stops being yeah. funny. It gets funnier the more you listen to them. I like these clips better than our original clips. Don't, be, don't get me wrong, Chris. You you did a sterling job to get those original clips together, but these ones will make me laugh. These are funny.
1: Yeah. Well, that's I Martin Wessle's who his credit, not ours. So that was the revolutionary thinkers. Now we have our galaxy, Brian gurus rarer Matt harder to spot in a, a spreadsheet because there's less of them so let me just stall for more time while I find a couple um any anything good happening
0: <laughs> Australia? I've been studying the way these gambling companies operate online with these social casino games and stuff and they're all about converting lower value customers to higher value customers so i was just thinking how do we solve your problem chris and get how do we convert more of our lower tier people into the higher tier you know we've got to think of psychological and behavioral manipulations that can apart from flattery abject flattery um we're not not above that um Usually you
1: have to give them something. That's the problem. Yeah, then we, to, then we have to
0: make it and organize it. It's, uh, no.
1: Well, well, I found one of them. It's Dave with a W. D-A-V-W. How would you pronounce that? Uh, I don't know. Um, Dav-wa. <laughs> Davwa. 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 Kyle S. That's easier. Tom Wasp. Yasko. I like that. Tom Yasko. Aaron Doherty. Know Aaron from Twitter? Um, yeah, a, a wise soul. William Resn- Resnick. Resnick. I like that name too. S. M. Um, uh, Jenkins, David Smeal, and collapsing. Fitting. That's
0: well. I appreciate it. That is, I mean, it is a nice thing to do to donate ten bucks a month to us, Chris. Um, it is you know, nice. You're supporting the podcast for the. Umpteen billion people who, who who don't subscribe, which is, yeah. by the way, totally fine. I don't subscribe to the Revolutions podcast, and I've been getting an awful lot of value about that. So what really goes nice. around comes around. I, I probably, I probably would subscribe. But, you know, that's quite a lot, because there's a lot of podcasts in the world, and you know, you can't give them all 10 bucks because it's crazy. Well, right? Unless
1: you're really rich, you could. Unless you're but really- you know, really Maybe these it, people are just
0: rich. We shouldn't be thanking them at all. Maybe this is like...
1: They should be giving money back it's, to more it's, people. It's, it, like,
0: for the, 10 bucks, is nothing. That's just like, they, they, they use it to like wipe their nose with and throw it in the bin. So Could be. Could mm, be.
1: That's... Exactly. No. <laughs> that's oh, so... Um, so, and you were wondering which Mario Brothers character I would compare them to. Yeah. I would say Hammer Brothers. Hammer Brothers, Matt, or maybe Shy Guys. One of the three. Hammer Brothers or shy guys. Are
0: these like bosses at the end of a level?
1: Not exactly bosses. Many bosses, but yeah, yeah. They're not Bowser level. (laughs) (laughs) It could be Bowser's children. Lemmy, Iggy, Roy. (laughs) These are real names. uh, (laughs) I could be saying anything. But but, yeah, so that's where they are.
0: You know way too much about Super Mario Brothers. I watched the Mario
1: Brothers trailer with my children there's a movie coming so that's
0: oh yeah Um, yeah i know i know the feeling there's a while there that i could sing all the door of the explorer songs and do a pretty credible job of them too Um,
1: after that crash bandicoot thing i can well believe (laughs) (laughs) so here we are you galaxy brain gurus thank you so much thank you
0: we tried to warn
2: people yeah like what was coming how it was going to come in, the
0: fact that it was everywhere and in everything.
2: Considering me tribal just doesn't make any sense.
0: I have no tribe. I'm in exile.
2: Think again, sunshine.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As always, I feel kind of sorry for Sam Harris. Feels like he doesn't quite deserve to be. Like he's so.
1: an exile, Matt. He's an exile. <laughs> so he's, that's fine. He's in the the galaxy floating around, um, non-tribally aligned, as always. So we salute you, Sam Harris. (laughs) We salute you, Galaxy Brain Gurus. And we will see you back next time when we have a decoding episode with Elon Musk. And it won't be too long, probably next week. So
0: I think it'll be kind of straightforward. I'm not going to take three hours to describe what's going on there.
1: Famous last words. Uh, Well, note, Matt, if you would, the... Distributed idea suppression complex and accord the gated institutional narrative on your
0: way. I have an entire wall of my house full of documents pinned up there and with red string connecting everything and the disc and the gin are well represented. A nexus of little red bits of string connect to each of them.
1: Well, I like that. I like that. All right. So see you all next time. And thanks, Jamie. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks. See ya.
1: But, like, uh, what was the thing? Oh, yeah. In Japan, you get this, like, health checkup once a year where they take your blood, they scan your, uh, like, they do x-rays and stuff. Actually, relatively thorough. um, And it's very efficient. And you you get it every year, and then they give you grades, right? Like, about your health. And generally, I'm all right. But this year, some, some results were just a little bit, you know, on the high side or a bit thing. And a funny thing is... I just, I actually appreciate this about Japan. Like I, I'm i well, 174 centimeters, right? Five foot nine. And I'm
0: yep. uh, so 75. Just, just a little bit shorter than me. Yeah. Right.
1: And I'm 75 kilos, right? And I, mm. I, I prefer to be about 70 kilos. A li-
0: little, was- bit, little bit more of a slider build than me as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So well, but this is what I, this is what I want. When I when I competed in jujitsu, I competed at sixty two kilos, which is a C and now. But the um, in any case, the so, like that's not that's not you know it's not really hugely overweight or whatever by any standards. But because this is Japan and because of the health check thing, I got an email, very friendly email from the nurse, like saying you know some of these results are a little bit out and. Your weight just went up a bit, so you know maybe you need to get some <laughs> exercise. And you know, do and it was very nice. And it was just like imagine in the UK if <laughs> I put on like three or four kilos and my uh, work please, will be to say maybe you need to do a bit more exercise or stuff. Like people would be freaking out, I think. But I appreciated it. It was I agreed with um, the. The they, of sh- they, so.
0: they shouldn't. They shouldn't be evaluating you on Japanese standards. They need to be treating you on the the Irish metric. That's, that's- yeah. By
1: that standard, I'm a fucking god. <laughs> 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 like so. Yeah. Um, but but
0: in- yeah. It, but it's refreshing in Japan. I remember, like, there is no sense of um, like. In- it's okay to just tell people what's wrong with them, especially if you're a middle-aged woman. Uh, I remember like meeting people, like acquaintances, that are you don't not. mean it's okay to tell middle-aged women what's wrong with them. No, you mean, no, they can, the, can tell you. They can yes. tell you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I remember meeting this lady, and I met her like two or three times. And the second time or third time I met her, she just looked at me and just pointed at my belly and went, "You've gotten fat."
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah. some people don't like this
1: uh about the Japanese culture but it, I I appreciate it I do it keeps me in
0: check it's yep, just like and
1: I was like I already know I already know man okay <laughs> so um yeah, yeah we, so that's, yeah, we, that's what,
0: we have that in common you know we're driven we're driven by shame it's the only thing that keeps exactly us, that's
1: mm. what keeps me alive so yeah so that that you know that's just general Health related waffle. You get another in depth update next episode. No, you won't. We'll never mention the game for a couple of months.